welcome to the Yak Sports Podcast with Joe Deck and Leela McRae. Joe, I hadn't talked to you much since Thursday when we watched some games together, which was nice on, uh, or that's Friday, excuse Friday. me. My, my week got a little mixed up. I haven't talked to you much since Friday when we watched some basketball together, uh, which was nice on your birthday. Happy birthday, brother. Thank you. Um, but a lot happened and we saw some of it together. Uh, we get caught up on the Thursday action and that's where I want to start because one of the bigger stories of the weekend, not, not the biggest anymore, uh, but one of the bigger stories of the weekend and particularly locally was UVA fallen to Furman, uh, early Thursday afternoon, uh, the second game that started and obviously me being the tech fan that I am and the, and the UVA hater as most like to call me, uh, was pretty happy with that. Now, as usual, I put my money where my mouth was. I picked Furman in my bracket. I um, encouraged a bet to be made in Vegas where it's legal to bet on UVA games. And uh, I got a picture of that ticket to prove it. So I I was happy about that. But um, it was surprising still. Like, I know I say put my money where my mouth is. You know, I, I do that as a fan. I don't do that as some kind of basketball picking expert. And Furman came to play, and if it wasn't for Clark at the end of that game really making a bad play that he admitted to, that he answered questions to and, and stood up to, um, Furman doesn't even get that opportunity to win that game. But they get the opportunity, they make the most of it, they win, and you know, for about a day that was the biggest upset of the tournament, and that was uh, it was a fun way to start the tournament. It was. Um, sorry, I got distracted by another tournament going on. We'll talk about in the D block. But um, – <laughs> the uh yeah the uva game was an exciting game i know it didn't turn out like cavalier fans wanted um and, and that's a tough play right if you're if i was a uva fan i would have been devastated that's a really tough tough way to lose a game um but i you know all the respect in the world to kihei clark who stayed there and answered questions because that's gotta be difficult uh and i can only imagine when you're an amateur player even with nil stuff and technically there's the ability to get paid from sponsorships and all that. Now still largely amateur sport and college sports to sit there and take every single question like a true professional should. Yeah. Um, I have nothing but respect for him in, in being able to do that. Um, Absolutely. But it turns out last year, the ACC got no respect in seating and the committee was proven wrong on that. Uh, this year, the ACC got no respect in seeding, and turns out they might have been right this year. Um, there's only one ACC team left, and a lot got beat down pretty early. Um, UVA losing to Furman was just another example of, and, and you know, this has been a bad run for UVA, really. Outside of the year, they won the championship, um, which is the ultimate goal. And I mean, that's a pretty big exception to the rule uh, is to win the championship. But obviously the UMBC loss, you have an Ohio loss, you have this Furman loss. There are other losses along the way that you just kind of scratch your head at and go, man, th these aren't losses UVA should have in the tournament. Um, now the tournament is very rarely does the best team in a single season win the tournament because it's a one-off game and you got to win four of them. Um, so six, I, of them. six of them. Yeah. Math is hard. Yeah. Um, you gotta win six of them. Um, so that's, that's 
part of the excitement of March Madness. Uh, and for UVA, unfortunately, they've been on the wrong end of that more times than not. Like I said, they did win the national championship. Pretty big exception to that rule, and you'll take Yeah, that. I don't want people bring that up and say everybody in the country trades, you know, yep. one national championship and three first-round losses. Every, every sure. coach in America will take that. Yep. Yeah, I, probably so. Um, but yeah, I, I understand the frustration the that don't do that. So. Yeah. I, I understand the frustration there in, in what happened against Furman, uh, in a game that honestly, there were a couple times where I thought, okay, this is where UVA puts them away. Yeah. And then well, Furman would have 10. a run. Yeah. Furman would have a run and it was just, UVA would go silent from the field and it was really surprising, but um, good news for UVA. They're no longer the only one seed to lose. Fairly Dickinson, who might be the worst team to ever make the tournament uh, because they didn't even win their own conference tournament. And when you look at the metrics, they were near the bottom of the country in a lot of metrics. Beats Purdue. Um, and Purdue is frankly not very good. I didn't have them in my final four uh, for the reason that I didn't think they were very I good. Yeah. Um. I I had said if UVA gets past Furman, I think they've got a great shot at getting to the Elite Eight, maybe Final Four. Um. And this year of all years, they're probably really kicking themselves uh, in that region for not still being in it because, man, with the teams left in that region, it gets real hard to imagine how they would not make the Final Four. Uh, it would be them versus Florida Atlantic this round. And then they would wait to play the winner of Princeton and tennis. No, not Tennessee. Tennessee. Not Tennessee. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, Tennessee's sitting there about to play Florida Atlantic. So they would have had to play. San Diego Florida State Atlantic. plays Florida Atlantic, don't they? Yeah. Florida Atlantic plays Tennessee in the next round. Am I blind? I am. Nah, whatever. It's fine. Somebody plays somebody. And, um, <laughs> Kansas State's down there. Kansas State is the other team I was leaving out. Okay. And and then the Michigan State that UVA fans hate so much. Yeah, it, it just gets really hard to imagine a world where they're not. I was mixing my regions up, apparently. Uh, it gets really hard to imagine a world where they're not the favorite to make it to the Final Four now. And that's also probably a frustrating thing. Yeah, I wasn't big on the Big Ten. I watched a lot of the Big Ten tournament. I think I said this out loud on the podcast last week that I wasn't that big on the Big Ten because um, we were dropping some of our picks. Um, I'd watch a lot of Indiana, a lot of Purdue. You know, Michigan State, they're still in it, sure, and it, it's not surprising. That no, Izzo's Leland, I was top. right. You were wrong. I'm looking at a bracket right I'm here. looking Tennessee at a bracket, too. Atlantic. Okay, well, then they don't – it's not that matchup. It's Alabama as San Diego State. That's the region UVA was in. Well, you never said those teams. Uh, whatever. Okay. I don't know how I'm not right. <laughs> I knew San Diego State was the team they were going to play in the next round, and Arizona was the two seed in that region because that's who I had Arizona beating. And Arizona lost in the first round of Princeton. I had Princeton and Missouri, uh, or I had Princeton right. It's Creighton that Princeton's playing. And I guess you'd still have Alabama to deal with, but I don't know. We're already against them anyway, right? I know Alabama is maybe – the one seed that has looked the best so far in the tournament. They are. They are. I'm not going to be stunned if they lose. I'm hoping for it every time they go out on the court. I'm go San Diego State. That might be the I one team against that, you. I picked Charleston to beat you, but now I hope you beat Alabama. That might have been the one team I root UVA for, uh, or root for UVA against. Um, this year? Yeah. Yeah. Or in coming years, too. As long as Nate Oates is there, I'm 
that might be with you. Because that's my that's my number one. That's my target for that. Starts with Nate Oates and goes up to his bosses that allow him to keep coaching. Uh, what other storylines we got? Um, Who knows? Uh, Tennessee beat Duke. Duke started to be a lot of people's getting them into the Final Four and even maybe even more because of how well they played down the stretch, winning the ACC tournament. I think it was justified. I, I was one of those people. Tennessee out physicals them. Um, I watched the highlights. I wasn't able to watch the game, but you know, people. I got. I don't know. the The Duke fan in my house wasn't whining about this, so I don't want to put that on her. But you know, other Duke fans were like, I mean, the refs were just letting everything go, and it was a bloody game and all that. It's just you got to adjust and you got to be tough. And they're not the first team to get tough with Duke to be, beat them. Virginia Tech used to put football players in the team just to do that. So like, it's not shouldn't be a shocker. You got to be ready for it. When you get beat, you get beat. So Tennessee did that. And, um, and that's fine, but um, Texas, Texas is flying under the radar. That's my national champion pick, and I'm happy they're flying under the radar. No one's really talking about them, and I'm fine with that. Just let them keep sailing right there. Yeah, they're going to be uh, in a game that I think they, is very easy for them to win, actually, against Xavier. Uh, yeah. I think they're going to take care of Xavier. I think they take care of Houston, too. So I think they could take care of Houston or Miami, because um, I think if Miami – gets healthier i know houston's hoping to be healthier uh in this sweet 16 i know that's the hope for miami as well um i think texas could beat either one of those teams and then at that point probably louisville is who they play louisville or not louisville ucla i'm looking at ucla's logo i don't know what i'm doing today I don't know One what of the I'm doing today. Teams in the ACC. <laughs> oh my so, gosh! <laughs> I've had your nights. I finally had one of those nights last week, so we're fine. <laughs> I, I'm glad I caught you. I'm glad you're not on live air tonight. That's what I'm glad. <laughs> oh, I'm keeping it in. Um, <laughs> yeah, UCLA. That's who they'll play. Probably is UCLA um, in the Louis final four. Though. Yeah, when Rick Pitino comes back, uh, <laughs> goes to Louisville one week only. and uh, <laughs> Hey, he's for hire. No, he's not. Oh. He's going to be at St. John's. That's Yeah, we'll talk about that later. Um, I, Gonzaga is still in it, and I had picked them to uh-uh. get knocked out last night by TCU. And so long. credit to them for still being in it. I really had no faith in them. I know others kind of started hyping them up that they're going to win it all this year because the year we're not all thinking they will. I don't think that's going to still, I still don't think that's going to happen, but I'll give him credit. They're still there. I don't like Timmy. I, I'm just not a Timmy fan. I don't dislike Gonzaga as a team or any of their players. I just think it's only that great this year. I watched them lose into St. Mary's earlier in the year. I watched them lose to other teams. They have a hard schedule in the season. I just, I didn't think they were great. So I kind of surprised they're still in it. I think they will lose to Mick Cronin and UCLA. I think uh, the Bruins will take care of them. And then, man. UConn's doing better than I thought. Um, but Arkansas's right there. Arkansas's look better yeah, than I thought. Them, and they did this last year, too. Arkansas's look better than I thought. Did I love watching them beat Kansas? Yes. Um, is it because I hate the Jayhawks? Also, yes. Also, um, yes, yeah. It was fun. Um, Tom Izzo is the guy who I believed in and has proven me right uh, by beating Marquette, who I said was fake. So... That's about I, the only I, thing I've gotten right in that region 
is that Marquette I had was K-State made. beating Marquette in the next game. I, I did have I Marquette beating Michigan that. State. I was I was wrong. I just I used to pick Michigan State deep, and I was thought, okay, don't don't use my blinders. Don't just pick Izzo because I think you know from what he did for me 15 years ago. Um, but uh, yeah, that's fine. You were right about Marquette. You were right. I I wasn't arguing with you. I that's the, the only tournament. thing I have right in the East region. Everything else is I'm seeing a lot of red. You, I was watching that Big East tournament, and I sat there every game, and I, I, sat, I was watching it, and you were working, and I was like, yeah, you're right. This team's fake. They're going to lose this game, and then they'd win it, and then there was the same thing the next night and the same thing the next night. So it's just now they finally lost. Uh, here's a highlight for me. That FAU-Memphis game, that 9-8 game, mm-hmm. first off, I didn't see Florida Atlantic coming. Okay. But that Memphis team was – I talked about no adults in a room. That was what that <laughs> sideline was. That was craziness down the stretch. Now, a year ago, Virginia Tech plays Memphis. They have a Virginia Tech transfer. They mm-hmm. It was kind of a That's strange right. atmosphere in that game. I didn't like it, but I was like, okay, I, I, they beat my Hokies. I don't like them, so I'm trying to ignore that. This year, I kind of just tried to be fresh about it because, you know, they have fresh players there too because they just bring whoever in. And they're playing FAU. And so I picked Memphis. Uh-huh. They, it was chaos at the end of the game. They didn't know what they're doing. They're yelling at each other. They're doing stupid things on the court. They lose the game. Penny Hardaway chucks his water bottle like he's a mad AAU coach or something. Like, I just was really disgusted with what was going on there at Memphis. And I will not, you know, reverse course on that anytime quick. They're going to have to show me you know, that there's some maturity around that program because they sure didn't show any on that sideline during that FAU loss. What did you think of uh, Coach Musselman at Arkansas celebration after they beat Kansas? I mean, it's not my favorite. I wouldn't want my coach doing that, but... Uh, oh, you know, I don't care. You know, if he's my coach, if he's my coach, I love it. If I'm Kansas fans, probably not. But, oh well, don't lose to Arkansas. I don't want to see Mike Young do that. Yeah, sure. <laughs> I like Mike Young eating popcorn. I don't need him to see him shirtless. <laughs> Mike Young rips his shirt off, waves his head, Red waves over his head. To. Buzz used to strip down layers with all he that did. sweat. I thought we might get to that. So <laughs> Yeah, he did. Um, but yeah, whatever. Um I'm not railing against it. I mean, you asked me my opinion. it's not my favorite, but I'm also that's the first comment I made about it. Mm-hmm. So um for those that are curious, uh Arizona is no longer a state. Uh, them losing to Princeton was upsetting. Were they shot to the moon or were they? They just lose their statehood. They just lose their okay. statehood. Now, um, are they part of Mexico or are they their own state? That is up to them. I am just not recognizing them as a member of the United States anymore. Um, and, uh, I'm not I recognizing. Mean, I don't even know who that helps because it's. I'm not recognizing the city of Waco, or the animal bears, um, because Baylor let me down yesterday. Um, so there you have it. The others that were on the list ended up being saved by the fact that so much else went wrong that it didn't actually <laughs> end up mattering. Um, but yeah, the animal bears, the city of Waco and the state of Arizona are no longer recognized by me personally. I like it. I get it. <laughs> I don't have any as egregious of that. I still have hope in my bracket. I got Texas as the winner. Yeah. So 
as long as they're in it, I got a chance. Um, UCLA is signing kind of something I need. I need them in the final four that are kind of separate me with some of the other people with Texas and uh, any of the bracket groups I am in. Reminder, I'm a one bracket guy, so I have the same bracket in all my pools. Um, but yeah, I don't have any teams that I think hurt me more than others. You know, I picked some upsets, but then I got some too. So I, I'm, I've laid off um, my money's about even, or excuse me, my investments are about even. So I'm, I'm fine with that. I've had fun with it and I haven't been terribly angry at any given moment. How is that? It, it's nice this year. Uh, it's different than these last 10 years. Uh, when I was in college, I used to have decent brackets. Like I'd be in the kind of the top three, four every year. I think the Maryland year I won it, but every other year, you know, I was up there. I have had a terrible run for 10 years. Um, I've also had kids for 10 years. So I, I, I feel like there's some kind of relation to that. So I'll blame them for that. So it's nice to have hope right now. Um, but, you know, I know what you always say about hope. Hope is the most dangerous thing. Yeah. Um. Yeah, I just, I don't know. I hate basketball. For the yak bracket, we got Craig sitting up top with Houston as his winner. Brad right behind them with Houston as a winner. Uh, also Lassiter in that spot, but he has Kansas as the winner, so probably less hope there for uh, Chris Lassiter there. Um, you know, I'm sitting in that four spot tied with a couple other guys that have, uh, I guess, uh, Mickey there with Houston. And then uh, TJ with Kansas, which uh, we'll talk about TJ later some more. But, uh, yeah, I we get the yak bracket. We got some hopefuls there to come on the podcast. But uh, I, got, I got hope. I got hope. I'm, I, it's weird. It's weird sitting here having real hope. So, yeah. I Yeah, I don't know. Um It's interesting. I had Arizona and Duke in my final four and they're both out. It's weird to still have hope, but I do because a lot of people had Arizona or Purdue or Duke. So it's all right. Yeah, it's just, um, it's poop salad is what it is. <laughs> this, this year has been not great. Um, and I hate it, but I don't know. I don't know, uh, what would change any of that. So, I, the the women's side at least has the Hokies still in it mm-hmm. and uh, is bringing me a lot of joy. They, you know, took care of business these first two games at home. Castle was rocking. I, I love mm-hmm. that we were able to kind of showcase that on a national scale, um, you know, as a one seed, which is different for us. You know, we're kind of rising into this position. So I, I'm enjoying that. Um, you know, these next two games are looking like it's going to be uh, – Tennessee and UConn. And in the history of women's college basketball, those stories start with Tennessee and UConn. So we're going to have a route that, you know, we're going to have to take all, take down some of those jerseys, maybe more so than the actual talent in them, but take down those jerseys and the, and the history that those programs bring you, you know, Tennessee more so UConn, they're still talented. And uh, so we'll see, we'll see what tech can do. I'm still hopeful. I think there's good reason to be hopeful. Mm-hmm. I've said that for a month now on this podcast. Um, you know, Baylor was hanging with UConn on Monday night. Uh, so that was giving me some hope. Um, you know, looking at other teams ranked higher than UConn that have lost, like Stanford 
and uh, Indiana losing to Miami. You know, those are teams that you brought up on, you know, this is why Virginia Tech shouldn't have hope of, you know, advancing to the final four. And they're teams that, you know, found a way to lose. And I, I think Virginia Tech does a good job at finding ways to beat teams. So I'm hoping they can do that to Tennessee and UConn. And, and I, I stick with my hope. And uh, I would caution I you about your victory lap and, and dunking here because. I'm not dunking yet. They're not in the final four. And I know that's what you're going to hold me yeah, to. Yeah, but your little I, comment I, I, about they found ways to lose. And Virginia Tech just finds ways to win. And that's why I like them. They, the, they have tended to. That's why they have like the longest winning streak in the nation. I, sure. I'm, Tennessee's going to be. Optimistic. I think Tennessee's going to be tough. Um, and then UConn, UConn would be tough. Yeah. But I, I will say, even if somehow they lose to UConn, it's not crazy for it to me to have thought that they are capable of making a final four. Let's see what that final like score against UConn they're, would be. They're a one seed. They are a one seed. I thinking they could make a final four. Was if not they lose crazy by 20, it would be pretty crazy. I think we'll see what happens. That's where I've been for three of these last four weeks. What did you say again, half. just to play devil's advocate, what did you say about Chalawi when they said they thought they were going to, they were better and they were going to win a state championship? Well, they can look at the seeding of a higher team and, and realize that they're going to have a problem. And Virginia Tech seeded higher than UConn. So I'll stick. Chalawi was the number one seed on their end of the region. Why were we the home team? What? Well, you the weren't region? the home team. About, the re- about We're talking about UConn right now. They're in the same region. They are ranked lower. I'm not going to – that's a bad – that's a bad comparison. It's not. A bad, it's, you're saying yes, it by going to the Elite Eight, they're one game shy. Chalawi would could say, well, we went to the state championship. We were one game shy. I'm saying a month ago when you named off eight teams that were going to be between Virginia Tech and a Final Four. One of said, them is. Really, yeah. Uh, two of them I are, I guess, Tennessee. It's crazy for me to have hope of them being in the Final Four. And I – and, and again, to play devil's advocate, I remain there again, seeing Indiana oh lose gosh. and seeing Great. Stanford lose two of the teams that you said were obviously going to be Virginia Tech if they face them. I, I just remain with my hope that Virginia Tech is playing the quality of season, has the team that it takes to get to a final four as their seeding as a number one seed in the region would allow. And again, to play devil's advocate, if Chalawi said we have a chance to win a state championship and they go all the way to the championship game. Yeah, they lose that game by 40 points, and we laugh at them when they say that. Again, that's why I say, let's see. If they lose to UConn in a very close game, you're right, Leland. You're right. I was wrong. But if UConn beats them by well, 20 points or game. more, it's pretty crazy. And, like, I, you just – I just let's let them play. Let's let them play. It's fine. I'm not going to convince you otherwise until they play, and let's just let them play. Like, I think it's boring for our listeners to hear us argue about the same point where you. I think it shows the hypocrisy. It's the hypocrisy. You're just a fan and you look at things through your fan glasses. Whereas when I'm a fan of a team, I have the ability to look at it through a bigger picture. I'm a fan of Riverheads and I'm a fan of Virginia Tech. So I don't know what you're trying to tell me here. Riverheads was going to kick their butt and they did. I think Virginia Tech's going to beat UConn. What do you want me to say? I think they're going to go to the Final Four. I want them to. Yeah, it's easy when Riverheads is just a dominant team. But even in our oh, last conversation, even in a conversation we're going to have here later, weeks, Leland, that we've already recorded, well. even in a conversation we have recorded here later that's going to be played, you kind of show your Riverhead fandom a little bit when I play devil's advocate and say, okay, well, what if this scenario happens? And you're like, yeah, I'd enjoy that. But I'm like, acknowledging it. I, 
Yes, and that's my it. thing, Leland. I'm not looking at it from my fandom perspective. I'm looking at it from a bigger uh, picture and saying, so these teams are kind of really though. good. I think it is a little bit crazy. They're a one seed. The, Nash, the people that make the bracket think they're better than UConn. Okay, and we'll find out if they're right. We will. Anywho. Well, you're so happy when Virginia Tech, if they, if they happen to lose, you'll be so happy. Good job. I won't be. I, I want them to win. I want to be wrong. But I'm saying I tend to look at things not through my fandom prism, whereas you do. You were later to the Justin Fuente train. I told you Justin Fuente sucks at his job. And you were like, oh, my gosh, he lost one game. It was a precursor to what was to come. Sometimes it's okay not to look at things through a fan prism all the time. I, I will admit, as much as we argue and sometimes we joke about, this argument does rub me wrong because it's like, it's me having hope is like offensive to you. And it, it's tough. It's not, it's, tough. it's not that you have hope. It's that, that hard on other people. I also don't know. I, I think that's unfair what you said. That you said I'm when JMU was undefeated, had beaten the tougher teams on their schedule, and they were in the top 25, and they were excited, and they were like, wow, they were talking about what if we go undefeated? Champion, that they should be in the final four. They, they should be in the playoff. I, I think I if they like go it. undefeated, they should have been in the playoff. Now, they ended up they not going been. undefeated. Why, the Coastal Carolina wasn't in it the year before. Like, they weren't going to put a Sunbelt team in. Like, it's, I'm, I was laughing at this, like, the how football works that you tear apart every single week. I think – you saying that I'm harsh to other teams when they have hope is not what happens on this podcast. I think it does. Very... It is what happens. It is what happens. You've done it other times. You saying You're JMU shouldn't think if they go, if JMU right ran the table Why can't Virginia and been undefeated, hope, they shouldn't have been in a playoff conversation in the freaking tournament. You saying if JMU had gone undefeated, they shouldn't have been in the playoff conversation is you laughing at other people's hope because that's not how that system works that is how that system would have worked i think they would have had a legitimate gripe so the coastal of the year before when they were approaching an undefeated yes season? when they were undefeated absolutely they but, were never going to be in the playoff like team they're never going to put them in there they're never going like, to we laugh but they the should they should they and did. that's the argument the that jmu fans are making that's your arguments all the time is made up scenarios of if Derek Jeter played for the Pittsburgh Pirates he's not all there let's talk reality the football system that exists was never going to put jmu in whether they were sitting out this year or not from bowl eligibility but what they jmu fans are saying they're, is they're they be the should be they should be allowed and i would agree i don't think that's crazy Virginia Tech's never gone to the Sweet 16 outside of one time in 1999, Leland. So when you say Final Four, talk reality, history would say that's crazy. Why did, why did the playoff, why did the people that make this tournament put them a one Because they have, they have a brain and they actually set a bracket and make it realistic for teams that don't get love to play their way in. Unlike me, I would look at that and say, Virginia Tech, uh, I don't know. They're good, but are they UConn? No, I want UConn in. So let's put UConn in, let's put Stanford in, let's put Indiana in, and let's put South Carolina in. That's our four. We're going to play, that's the national championship, those four teams. Sorry, Virginia Tech. I know you were really good this year, but, you know, 1999 was the last time you really mattered, so you're not going to be in this time. And that's what... That's how football works. That's that not fair. That is how football works. So like I, but like I think you saying, you here. think... Like we're both crossing our arguments if you want to make that argument, and I'll, I'll probably agree with that. But Which is my point that you're being a little, you're being the opposite here. You're being the opposite here. 
In the football scenario, you're laughing at JMU fans for thinking they have a legitimate case for why they should at be in the playoff, playoff if they go undefeated. Spot. At a playoff spot, yes. Because that's not how the system that they're playing in works. But it should. But they should. If they were undefeated, there weren't four sport, undefeated teams. Play games there weren't four undefeated teams. They should have been in in that scenario. Now, they ended up not being undefeated, so it doesn't matter. But at the time, they had played their toughest opponent. It looked like a realistic goal for them. That's all they were doing, and they were celebrating being in the top 25, and you wanted to tear them down. That's what you were doing in the fall. We can go get the episode again, and we can play it. I just said those words, Joseph. (laughs) I just said, in my teardown of them, I didn't say they're going to lose. I said, they can go undefeated. They're not making this playoff. A, they are ineligible for postseason. So they should never want it. They should never want that. that There had been record of the year before a team that was approaching that and they never got above like 13th in the rankings. Like the system isn't built that way for them to have that realistic hope. So they shouldn't, they shouldn't advocate it. They should just sit down and take it. They can yell at whatever they want, but like, luckily there, it proved itself out. I'm hoping here, this proves itself out in this tournament where as you can say in any of these 64 teams, the best team doesn't. So what if I said again to play devil's advocate in this tournament and again to play devil's advocate again to play devil's advocate. You have said you think it's unfair that some people get overlooked just because they play class one football. What if I said there will not be a D one athlete because college scouts look at and say, well, you play D class one in Virginia. We don't think that's respectable. We're not going to waste our time recruiting you. That's what happens all the time. That's reality. Okay, but you complain about that. And what I'm hearing is that you should just be quiet, not complain about it, and accept it. Say your point again. I'm I'm in a circle here. Am I arguing for JMU or Virginia Tech here? Well, right now you're arguing for Riverheads. You're arguing for athletes to not be overlooked just because they don't play good competition. has produced like one Division I player. But you think uh, there are others that have been overlooked. Just because they play I, bad opponents. You know what? I'm not gonna. I don't know which player I'd sit here and say should have gone D1. I think players that have deserved their chance. I think Logan Moore went to William and Mary. That I guess technically is D1. That's uh, they were FCS at the time, whatever they call it now. Um, and he was one of the best running backs to come through. I'm hoping Caden has his opportunity. It sounds like he has had some of his opportunities, but like you saying, I. I don't know. They generally do with recruiting, do overlook class one. Um, man, I guess we jump between this basketball and football a lot that it's like it, it they're set up not really in parallel ways. So it's hard for me. Uh, yeah, I hope my Homer, my Homerism fan. I feel like that's where I really generally push my arguments is in my Homerism. And that's an argument you already made against me. Um, it brings me joy. I like it. Um, I like rooting for the teams that I like to win and thinking that they have a chance. It, it's worked out for me. Um, I don't know. I don't know how to answer your Riverheads question. I'm rattled a little bit, I guess, I, is the, the answer. I want Virginia Tech to be in the Final Four. I hope they do. I hope JMU can be the team that comes from the Sun Belt into the playoff, I, in the four-team playoff. Um, I don't think that's going to happen because I don't think that system is built that way. Um, 
like we're comparing these teams that have a chance or not between these two systems that are built in opposite ways. The NCAA tournament built to give many teams a chance and maybe produce uh, the best team as a champion against college football that is 100% controlled by people sitting in a room that put four teams in this final four. Um, yeah, it'd be great if Virginia, it'd be great if JMU could do that. In no way was last year JMU going to be able to do that. I do disagree on that. I think if JMU went undefeated, they would have had a legitimate conversation and would have been, I think, and the, the other part of that argument was the NCAA should give them a waiver if they go undefeated and are in that conversation, which I think is a fair argument to make, which was the point of the argument that you laughed at and said, shut up, don't be happy about this, is basically what your argument was. And we can go back and listen to the episode if we need to, but that's that's kind of where I'm coming from when I say, let's see what happens the rest of the way. Let's see if they can beat Tennessee, I, UConn, I some of these blue that blood that. programs before we celebrate. Yeah. I, yeah. I apologize for my hope. You're not forgiven, but we'll move on to Matt Hatfield now. <laughs> We have Matt Hatfield back on the podcast. And Matt, we wanted to bring you on because you were down there at the Seagull Center for all the state championship games. So let's start there. Uh, Big, big weekend. Lots of state championships awarded. What was your overall takeaway from just the basketball that you saw? I mean, six classifications, 12 games. Uh, Who were some of the teams that kind of leaped out to you as maybe some of the best teams in the state this year or maybe some surprises that you saw? Yeah, guys, it's good to be back with you. I tell you what, there were some uh, thrilling games. We had an overtime finish. Uh, that involved James Madison High School out of North Virginia winning its fourth consecutive state championship despite graduating a host of seniors from their three-peat team. They outlasted Manchester 49-46. to I think the most exciting game was the Class 5 boys final where it was Woodside at a Newport News edging Patrick Henry of Roanoke 54-52 to in a game where they got behind by 16 points with 310 to go in the third quarter. And it looked like they were pretty much dead in the water until, guess what, a 25 to nothing burst. I mean, you don't, you see a lot of madness this time of year in March with college basketball and then the NBA playoffs from the corner. But that was just for the ages. And then, by the way, you think the Ted, that team's dead in the water. They get down nine with 5.52 to go. They tie the game up and have a chance to win it with under 10 seconds to go. Kid drives to the left, misses a runner. Woodside gets the rebound. They race on the court, miss a layup, tipping at the buzzer by a football signee to Hampton University, Christian Greenlaw who's able to win it for the Wolverines in a thriller 54-52. And that was a heck of a ball game. And there were some other good games that I think those couple of games sort of overshadowed it. But once again, Princess Anne girls, no shock there. Darnell Dozier wins his 13th ring. They come back in the fourth quarter to beat L.C. Bird. Uh, Class 3 boys game had a lot of the same ebbs and flows that the Class 5 boys game did with Northside, 58-52 over Hopewell where they had a 17-point lead, lost it, got down four in the fourth quarter, but rallied to win it with a couple of sophomores starring in big ways in Cy Hardy and Michael Harvey. And then I think the the team that has been dubbed by many to be the best, not just in the state in any classification, but dare we say as good as anybody in America in terms of public school boys basketball programs, John Marshall out of Richmond. They put on quite a display, uh, thumping Radford 91-34, to And as good as Dennis Parker is, the NC State signee, as great as Jason Rivera is, 
17 points, check that 15 points, seven rebounds for him along with three steals. And as uh, spectacular as the point guard, Damon Red Thompson Jr., Jr., who had 12 points, five assists, is their freshman, Latrell Allman, 17 points, 14 rebounds. Guys, when I watched him last August in an open gym, I pointed him out to some high school coaches, and uh, I said, that kid's going to be pretty good. They go, he's a senior, right? I go, no, he's a ninth grader. He's not a senior. He might be as good as any freshman in the country. He's just absolutely wow. dazzling. So. Uh, they were dominant, 65 and a half points per game. They won their playoff games. And I think that's been a lot of the chatter and talk since just how great they are and how they stack up in a mythical tournament. A lot of people like to see a mythical matchup with them and Paul the Six, who's certainly a famed program out of the WCAC, uh, Northern Virginia, D.C. area. Uh, maybe we'll get that in the future. You never know. But certainly a lot of storylines. And I think the biggest takeaway I had, guys, was, and I mentioned Allman being one of them as a freshman, a ton of really good freshmen and sophomores, not just on the boys' side, but on the ladies' side, too, that really stepped up. Young lady for East Side in a loss, uh, Azzy Hammonds, was great. There's just so many ninth graders and 10th graders that look like they're going to be players to watch for years to come. So you mentioned John Marshall, which has been a buzzword, as you mentioned, all pretty much uh, state playoffs and all season long, kind of. Um, and Radford's coach is just the latest to – Come out, and his press conference uh, after the game was a little more vague than maybe Gate City's and Coach Vermillion's was two years ago. But he had said uh, something needs to change to save high school sports, basically, because he thinks high school sports is going in a direction that is not healthy or good for high school sports. And said a lot, but just in case our listeners didn't catch that video that ended up going viral on social media a little bit. Um, what is he talking about? What is he alleging is going on? Um, and, and I know he made it very clear he wasn't trying to blame anybody, but, I mean, he he obviously had a problem with something. What is Coach Cormani talking about? Among, and I, to be fair to Coach Cormani, others are saying as well. Well, I don't know that he's making any necessarily strong allegations. I think right. some people are – are taking that out of context that he's making a, an accusation that there is a recruiting violation or something of that nature. He first prefaces comments by saying, look, John Marshall's an exceptional basketball team, outstanding athlete, some that could play at the professional level. Uh, the press conference did not go on for an awful long time. It got cut short. I think he was pretty stern in his remarks. I think he talked about the purity of the high school game. I think his biggest gripe is just players getting embarrassed at this level being that John Marshall has players good enough to play and they used to play at the triple a level that they could be anybody in the class four five and six which he actually sort of referenced in that that they could beat a four five and six and look it's all based on enrollment i think there's a lot of people that have problems with certain schools not just john marshall i think this is being made a john marshall issue i think people look at phoebus and football and say why are they playing in class two they could play with class four class five they used to play in class four they used to win division five state championships I think people see if there's a program that wants to play up and they've wanted that in the past that they should be enabled to but the way the Virginia High School League has things structured, and I think it's in its on the surface, it's for good reason, is that if you're going to play at this level, you need to have enrollments of similar sizes. This all pretty much got accelerated by you know a lot of the Loudon schools up in Northern Virginia, Briar Woods, Broad Run. I believe one of them played in the class four or five state championship years ago, and there was a big disparity in terms of attendance or enrollment figures, I guess you could say. And I think people have an issue with that and it's it, you know you want equal sizes to play and that makes a lot of sense so if you play john marshall in the class five or class six boys state tournament that's great they can certainly win it and beat a hayfield or a woodside they're worthy enough to they beat our 
Virginia Preps Classics, uh, in our Virginia Preps Classic, they beat Lansdowne one year. They, they won the Class 6 state championship. They were in Class 3 or Class 2 at the time. But then what do you do with other sports such as football, such as baseball, softball, field hockey? And he even said in his press conference, I don't know what the solution is. This enables people to, whatever resources they may or may not have, not that we're accusing Ty White or his program of doing anything you know, wrong doing here. They've been great. If you get players that end up coming into your zone legally, and it's basketball is not as many numbers as football, but let's say you know you have five players, you get three impact transfers, and you're at a smaller level, and it's done by the books. There could be lopsided margins like this. So I think there's that concern that this may open the door for others to follow suit with that. You know, time will tell, and I don't know how you go about addressing and fixing some of these concerns that are pretty much being laid out by not just Coach Cormany of Radford, but Scott Vermillion a couple of years ago had some very strong words at Gate City. And I believe there was an article recently done, uh, it might have been in the Richmond Times-Dispatch, I'm forgetting where the VHSL Executive Director, Dr. Billy Hahn, was candid about some remarks that maybe we need as, as a group to look at this because they have a lot of things done at the regional level before it gets to the state level. It's very easy for people to pin the blame right on the Virginia High School League, but I don't know if there's one entity or person or you know group that deserves blame here. And I think you want the kids to play in a state championship, whether it's John Marshall or Radford, that's competitive. You want John Marshall to play in a competitive game, and you want Radford to play in a competitive game. doesn't matter if they win or lose. Uh, I think we'll come back around to some of those comments and maybe some of the, you know, administration kind of ways of looking at this and comments they've said. I want to better understand John Marshall because I've, I've read a lot of the, the junk out there, you know, probably tr- some truth, some junk. You know, I was hearing rumors of maybe even more than just a couple of transfers in, and it was, you know, a, a, a bigger chunk for this John Marshall team. And is, is there truth to that, or or is it more limited than, you know, an entire travel team roster transferring in to a uh, it, school district? It's over-exaggerated, Leland. I mean, look, they okay. got two high-profile players, Jason Rivera from, from New York, who actually – uh, is in an Apple TV show. I think it's Swagger. Um, it's a he's actually an actor, and this kid's actually a pretty neat story. He's a terrific young man, very talented. And I do think some of the academic piece. There, listen, a lot of their and Ty White was very, I think, uh, outspoken about this. Like, look, these are these are student athletes go through a lot. They they go through like a college level program to get prepared for this. this. Isn't some picnic you just roll the ball out there and you go dunk and shoot threes and get dunked and you're just the you know, the big bad monsters from Space Jam, if you will. No, no, they go through a lot to get there. Um, Damon Red Thompson was on the state championship team a year ago. Dennis Parker's been there all four years. This is a kid that won three state championships. The only year they didn't win was the year they didn't play as, as a sophomore at the COVID year where John Marshall and Richmond schools opted out. Uh, Latrell Almond came in from North Carolina. Now, I, I've not verified this, but I believe he was a, in a lot of kids' eighth and ninth grade, they you know are able to reclass. I think he might have been a ninth grader at the school he was previously in North Carolina. And he was able to be a ninth grader again. That, I mean, he still can play in Virginia High School. Now, I don't know if he'll be able to play a senior year. I'm not sure what his age is and all those things. It doesn't really matter to me at this point. He's, he's a terrific ball player. But they don't have a slew of seven or eight transfers. And look, I can name you, it, it really defeats the purpose, but 38, 39 other schools in the state that have two or three impact transfers. They may not be of the ilk of Rivera or Almond, but you put them on our already established good team. Um, it's going to make a big difference in, in a situation where John Marshall is beating people. I mean, their closest game yeah. I this year was beating Hopewell by like 19. And that's a school in Richmond, class three level. That, and that's kind of where I wonder, like, 
what's the motivation, you know, and John Marshall can be a great ac- academic school and everything, but it, it, it seems like there is these programs out there, Oak Hill, um, in, in the state of Virginia, other ones in the state of Virginia, IMG, we hear about these big names and we see them on ESPNU in the fall playing football games. And we see these college basketball or high school basketball matchups on ESPN made for ESPN. Why are these players transferring to this school and not choosing one of those other routes that might present more competitive matchups that might build them as a player? Is, is it really benefiting them beating everybody by 20 at the class two level? Well, I, I don't know. I, I think every transfer is different. I don't know that every person I can answer, male or female, that the sure. reason they transfer, I mean, some are, you know, family moves. Some are, it's just an opportunity. So I can't speak for, in this sure. case, we're sure. talking about Almond or Rivera. Um, and I, I think Ty White has done a really good job. Listen, this is a guy that said, people laughed at this, scoffed at this. I even maybe, I don't know if I'd snickered at it, but I was like, well, he's out there. When Ty White got to John Marshall after being an assistant at Petersburg, he made the bold declaration, I'm going to make this a national level program. And he's gone out and put, put, you know, boots on the ground, if you will. He's put a lot of work and time, blood, sweat, and tears into doing that. And in doing it, he's gone out and scheduled people when they are John Marshall without, you know, the number of bodies and, you know, the, the enrollment that a lot of schools have. And he's played in out-of-state tournaments. And they've taken on all comers, and they've backed it up with their play on the court. It's pretty hard to play the level they have and not have a letdown. I think it's – I asked this question to John Marshall because I'm like, do you guys get bored? Because, I mean, I, I'll be real with you. I get bored watching them at times. Now, listen – they're not boring to watch, but when you're winning by 40, it gets boring to watch. Now, they're exciting and fun to watch. When they're dunking threes and they share the ball, they play unselfishly. And getting all those guys to buy in is hard to do. But when you're beating people by 35-40, some of those games are not as interesting to watch as others. So on why they're transferring there, that's a, that's something you'd have to ask those specific athletes and their families. Because I think that you could propose that to a number of different athletes and teams. I just think it's it's very easy for people in Southwest Virginia who have come to know this Radford program or previously get to, they see the yeah. success they have and they get into this matchup and it's like, Oh my gosh, this is a nightmare. Well, don't feel bad. It's nothing against you. It's just as how this is an all time John Marshall team. That's going to go down statistically, whether you believe it's the best or not, it ranks up statistically with some of the best of all time, much like we saw this past year in football guys with freedom out of Woodbridge freedom, beat people by margins. That was very similar, uh, a little different ball of wax because it's football it's 11 on 11 but we're seeing this in a lot of different divisions. It's not just a basketball John Marshall issue, even though it's being made to be by a lot of people. Do you think maybe the AAU circuit and the same coach kind of coaching that AAU team has is something that the VHSL or whatever governing body needs to look at is something they could address? Because I know there used to be a rule that coaches could only spend so much time with their players off season. And that kind of, that rule kind of went away and maybe that's something that's allowing this. Well, look, I think on the surface, you, you might be onto something there, Joe, but I don't know how you regulate that. I don't know how you govern that police that because you can name 2025 programs that are connected with an AAU coach who's the head coach or assistant coach. And by the way, Ty white, he's the director of team loader, but the head coach of it is his assistant, Michael Blackwell, but that's no different than a coach for Boo Williams or team takeover sure. or somewhere else coaching at a high school as a head varsity or assistant varsity or junior varsity coach. And then you go to other sports where you have travel baseball coaches that are with their teams all spring and summer long. You have travel soccer, field hockey, volleyball, football. I think because football and basketball naturally are the most popular sports, it gets the most limelight of attention, but we've got seven on seven travel coaches. They're with their kids almost, you know, 12 months a year. I don't want to say 365, but they're with their kids all the time. So this is just because the margin was so wide. Mm-hmm. It's being 
more eyeballs are noticing it and it's getting a lot more attention when you beat somebody by, you know, 50, 60 points in state playoff games, like they did by average, but go back and look, like I said, freedom, they beat people by amazing margins. And just a couple of years ago, Highland Springs, Stonebridge, we've seen Manchester in football there. They went undefeated. They, they threatened the state scoring record. I think when you did some of the classification breakdowns, a lot of the statements that I've said and others said that that follows closely is you're going to see a a disparity between the haves and the have nots, the ones that invest time in their programs year long with off season conditioning. I mean, that's why we're seeing programs win three, four, five, six state championships in a row. We're seeing Princess Anne girls basketball dominate. We're seeing Riverheads football dominate. We're seeing a bunch of programs, baseball, softball, the list goes on and on. Cox field hockey. They've got almost 30 state championships at this point. It's not just a one exclusive program issue even though we're all sitting here going, this doesn't look right. John Marshall should be playing up. They have a team that's been one for the ages this year. Sure. And, and, you know, you bring up Riverheads there at the end, and that's I'm sure there's a lot of Class 1 teams that are happy to see Riverheads leave next year and not have to worry about them in football because while you're talking about John Marshall's closest game is 19 points, I mean, I was one game away from being right uh, two years ago when I said Riverheads isn't going to have a game within three scores. And they... (laughs) beat everybody. I think Galax had a much closer game in that state championship. Um, but then the year after that, Riverheads went out and beat everybody by three scores. So um, I I understand that point, and it seems like a fair point. I was just – I tend to just on the surface kind of look at that and do – I, I think it's fair, and I'm sure there are people saying the same thing about Riverheads football. Like, how does this tiny school have some just players that are absolutely – way better than everybody else is. I would say Riverhoods football is not churning out D1 prospects like John Marshall basketball is. And I think that's the other thing of, at least from where I'm sitting. New York City or Carolina or... Well, (laughs) from where I'm sitting... From from four to five. But again, what rule says you can't move in from another state and play at XYZ? He he could go move... Jason Rivera could go move in from New York City and go play at fill-in-the-blank high school sure, or sure. Northern yeah. Neck or anywhere. I mean, so, again, I don't know what what the big problem is in that regard. Now, if we want to look at this bigger picture, I mean, I think there can be with some of these schools that want the opportunity. Again, this isn't John Marshall's fault. They didn't ask to be in no. class two in boys basketball. So I think before we say, what do we do, Virginia High School? Well, we got to look at it from a district and regional level. And then we got to look at it from a state level, how you may reshuffle some things or do some things differently for your tournament structures before we can, you know, go full in depth on that, if you will. Yeah. And I don't know, maybe the answer is, uh, I don't know how it would work, Uh, but maybe the answer is if, if a team looks too dominant, a promotion relegation kind of thing in the VHSL for certain sports. And just yeah, that sport three in a row. Yeah. Move yeah. Up. Maybe that team is just like, look, you won three in a row. Like we're going to move you up classification in this sport. Cause you're just too good. Like it's, you're obviously better than everybody else in this classification. We don't need to hammer mm. this any longer. Um, but moving off of that, cause I think, you know, you answered our questions and we appreciate that. Um, I think my, I think my opinions uh, were, were flowing out a little bit there. <laughs> sure. Uh, but you mentioned, uh, Rappahannock County ended up winning that class one game. Uh, mm-hmm. and, and that's a heartbreaking thing for some fans here in Augusta County. Cause Buffalo gap played them three times. Buffalo gap looked to be the better team in those games. Uh, we're right there yeah, leading. Yeah. We're leading. <laughs> uh, I guess it was twice. Um, but we're mm-hmm. leading both games and 
late in the game, Rappahannock County comes back and beats them. And it was just kind of to see Rappahannock County win that state championship was a bit heartbreaking for folks here. And I, I know I was one of them sitting there going, man, I think Buffalo Gap could have won a state championship had they gotten there. <laughs> well, they couldn't. I think the surprising thing, guys, was that that score was so high because mm-hmm. they were yeah. – you, I thought it would be a game in the 40s or 50s. I know there was in the 30s and 40s they played in the mm-hmm. state semifinal. And they're able to score 36 in the first half. Rappahannock County came out and shot – uh, 43% in the first quarter. They shot 61% in the third and 71% in the fourth. So you felt like when they scored 18 in the first, they're going to cool off. They just got hotter, yeah. which was crazy. And they had all five stars scoring double figures to offset Hammonds' just magnificent performance where she had 37 points in the game. I, I was impressed with the flow of that because, you know, you get two new teams on that state championship single center floor. You could see some jitters, some antsiness, some bad shooting. We've seen it in some of the tournament games, guys. I mean, let's be honest. How many teams have gone out there and, Gone cold from the three. <coughs> Purdue messing up my bracket. Thank you very much. <laughs> <laughs> Among others. But my point being, my point being, like those those girls came out and and my my radio partner, Coach Young, made the comment that was even though it didn't get the attention of their games, he mentioned that was like a top three, top five state championship game for the whole tournament. That was a well played, exciting game, seventy to sixty five. I know people say, well, Rap Panic turned it over twenty five times. A lot of that was caused by Eastside's defense. That was a great game, and again, I think only one senior on both squads. So they're both bringing back a bulk of their team. So the class one girls could be fun to watch in years to come really in a, a tournament where we've seen in the last few years, we've all become accustomed to Perry McClure being that state championship yeah. level team. I think there's some teams that are lurking out there, whether it's been in, in recent years that we've seen, you know, Rappahannock County now East side, Buffalo gap. You mentioned, we saw Riverheads had a couple years. They were in the mix. Shoot. Uh, watch out for Cumberland. I highlighted them in, in a story in the Farmville Herald. They had a great start. They just kind of fizzled out come regional time, but they got a bunch of really good underclassmen. So there's going to be some class one and class two girls games that are exciting. And oh, yeah. by the way, class two girls, there was that overtime game with Clark County and John Marshall mm-hmm. and John Marshall mowed its opponents. And then they got to the state semis, lost a heartbreaker and Clark County beat Central Wise, who's got a dominant program under the legendary Hall of Famer Robin Dotson. And they win that game. I think if Emma McCamus is healthy, taking nothing from Clark County Central Wise probably takes it. But big ups to Clark County for getting that done because I think a lot of us, myself included, figured it'd be another championship for Wise. Yeah, I, no, I being from the Winchester area, you know, whenever you see, I see teams from up that way in a state championship, I kind of piques my interest a little bit too. And I, I also was like, man, I'm surprised Clark County beat John Marshall, but good for them. And then I saw who their opponent was, and I was like, well, good season. And then they end up winning the whole thing. And I was like, I guess that's why they play the games. But uh, uh, yeah, that was pretty awesome to see. And you mentioned LC Bird. I want to talk about LC Bird a little bit, even though they came up short, because selfishly, uh, my partner at VCU is the coach there, Jacinda Alston. And I, they had a really great run this season. They do come up short, um, but that seemed to be a, an exciting classification because all those games, at least on the LC Bird side, which I was following again selfishly because I was like, oh, let me see if my partner's going to be at the game this week uh, <laughs> or if she's got another game to coach. Uh, it, they all seem very tight and uh, seems like a very competitive classification there in Class 5. It is. I mean, Princess Anne has been dominant there, but remember, Elsie Bird beat Glen Allen twice, mm-hmm. and Glen Allen handed Princess Anne its only loss, and they'll lose Kaya Smith who moves on the Navy, but got a good group there. Chevette Waller is no stranger to the state tournament. I mean, even the two teams that Princess Anne beat, Norview, who knocked them out last year in the state quarters, ending their streak of, I think it was 12, 11, whatever it was, consecutive trips to the state finals. Uh, even with that, you look at it, and 
I mean, they had Princeton on the ropes in the quarterfinals. Minchville, and they beat him last year, like I mentioned. Minchville was the champion a season ago. They had a lead on Princeton in the first half. Class five is very deep in girls. I think because it's so deep in boys, where we talk right. about a lot of teams from Richmond and Tywater, specifically the Norviews, the Morries, the Woodsides, the Green Runs, the Bethels, the so on, so all those teams, and then Highland Springs, Elsie Bird, you know, so on. We talked about over the years in Richmond, Henrico, when they were in Division five and won a couple of championships under Vance Harmon. I think we're so trained about how deep class five is. And you forget because Princess Anne somehow, some way finds a way to do it year after year after year with Darnell Dozier that nobody else is maybe worthy or at that level. But it's hard to do this thing. I and mean, that's why you marvel when programs can rattle off these championships consecutively or the amount that they have. And I think Bird's knocking on that door. They're going to get there eventually. I mean, look, they're probably one or two plays away. I'm sure they've watched the tape and they say, daggone it, we're up three or four points here. It's a 38-38 game in the fourth. We get up a couple buckets. If we get one stop here, don't turn it over. We win that game. But Princess Anne really had the difference maker in Zakiya Stevenson. There's a reason she's going to Ole Miss and with 24 points and five steals, scored her 1,000 point in the game. She was that one player because without her, Princess Anne has nobody else scoring in double figures. So sure. sometimes it just takes that one player. In basketball, even more than football, you have that one player, it can push you over the top. Like in pace, baseball playoff action, you have that one dominant pitcher it can silence the lineup. And they had that one player that was able to contain everything else that Bird wanted to do, especially in crunch time. You mentioned Mac McClung earlier. I want to go back a little bit, unless, and if Leland has anything on VHSL championship weekend, he can steer us back. But the dunk champion, Mac McClung. Yeah, right? dunk champion, yes. Mac McClung. I know for Leland and I, um, I, I got to call his state championship appearance. They lost against Martinsville his freshman year. And then I didn't get to see him his sophomore year, but junior year they lost to, at the time, R.E. Lee High School in a super sight game at JMU. Beats R.E. Lee High School in the state championship the following year. Um, so for Leland and I, it was cool to see a guy that we got to call his games in the NBA dunk contest. And not only have a good showing, but like you said, he won the thing far and away. I mean, was the most impressive dunker in that thing. Yeah, I mean, it's... It's a spectacular story. I mean, and every year, I think the neat thing about the state tournament is you'll see future stars that we watch in the NBA or shoot NFL. Look at Juan Thornhill from Alta Vista. He wins a couple Super Bowl rings. I think he just signed with the Cleveland Browns, by the way, but uh, after his wow. great start to his career with the Kansas City Chiefs. But oh, uh, at a UVA. He's going <laughs> to retire with two rings. That's great. <laughs> oh, wow. <laughs> comes, I love you, Leland. Although we got I'm a Steelers fan. I know. <laughs> Jeremiah Wusukoromoa, who played at Bethel in the state basketball championship, he's on that Browns defense. So they got two Commonwealth yeah. cornerstones for their defense to try to build and compete with the vaunted AFC North uh, contenders like Cincinnati and Pittsburgh and even Baltimore, whether Lamar Jackson's there or not. But anyhow, uh, it's neat that you'll see a Juan Thornhill or a Mac McClung or a Dorian right. Finney-Smith, a Frank Mason. And going back to John Marshall, you're going to probably see Dennis Parker – and Latrell Allman and Jason Rivera one day. I mean, that's probably going to happen. It's not going to shock anybody if it does. That's for sure. It definitely won't shock Rick Cormany. And, and I think the Bobcats, who got to see up close and personal, that, that show. Yeah. Too up close and personal. <laughs> yeah, for two years now. Yeah. Um, go ahead, Leland. I, I, it's I, out of basketball. It's, this is a selfish question. It's, it's more of you inside your life. I imagine we talked to you in football season. We talked to you in August. You, you tell us what's going to happen in the football season. Then we catch up and we get to see that happen. And then we talk to you around uh, playoff time. 
you're dead on. You're still making the right predictions. We talked to you in basketball season. What do you do in the spring? What what occupies your time? I imagine you're going school to school, scouring their rosters, talking to you know all the assistant coaches and all the players because you know so much about every team in the state. But what do you do in the spring uh, that we can be calling you on uh, for for your expert knowledge? <laughs> what do I do in the spring? I watch Law and Order SVU reruns. No, besides that. <laughs> Um, and by the way, I told you guys FDU and Princeton, right? I had that, didn't I? You did. Or, <laughs> I always like the bracket, bro, the pool right here. Right? Yeah. <laughs> so what I do is I end up because, you know, and I do follow baseball. So people say, you know, we, we do have some stories from time to time on Virginia preps with, with some baseball, softball coverage, not as many because it is such a big appetite for football yeah. and basketball. But a lot of it is going to team camps, summer leagues, spring leagues, seven on seven events, AAU events, just getting a lot of face time with coverage. That's where our meat and potatoes, our meat and potatoes really done. Because I think just for our site, the really the three best weeks are obviously state football championship week, state basketball championship week. And believe it or not, there's always like a week around like end of May, early June. So it's a lot of busy recruiting news or what have you that'll get a lot of attention and buzz. So it's really kind of those three weeks that generate a lot of the lion's share, but it's mainly some of that. It's going out to different places and kind of gathering for what's going to be on deck and a lot of research, a lot of film watching, highlight tapes, huddle, different, you know, video uh, sources, but um, that's really where, you know, the old saying of there is no off season anymore. I think it goes back to that because when I first started doing this in 2004, it really was a three to five month a year. Now it's a, it's a 12 month, 365 deal. Well, I also know you're a huge sports fan. Um, I know you can probably tell my TV is on, but you might not be able to tell what it's on. It's on the World Baseball Classic. Have you been able to watch any of the World Baseball Classic? I haven't, but I, I sympathize for all the Mets fans out there who feel brokenhearted that Edwin Diaz is on the shelf now. I'm a Diamondbacks fan, and we don't have anybody of, of that ilk that's participating. <laughs> I mean, we have some good players, but not of that ilk. So. It is unfortunate. It is pretty neat, though. I think there are some people that are into it. There's some that are not really into it. It hasn't captivated me. And I think a lot of it's because you still have a lot of the March Madness NCAA basketball tournament action going on in the time of year. I think if it was at a different time of the year, it might have my attention a little bit more. And it is right before the baseball season. So I don't know when the ideal time for it would be, to be honest with you. Yeah, I know when they were talking about this tournament and its birth, like one of the ideas was you don't have the all-star game every three or four years whenever they wanted to have it. You just put it there and you extend the all-star break to make it like a two-week all-star break. And then you play this tournament there. Um, and the MLB owners decided they didn't want to do that. They wanted to do it in spring training time. Um, yeah, I don't know what the right answer is. I, I do. I love it. I'm a baseball fan first. Um, I Now, I do watch March Madness um, as well. So it's one of those things where the sound will be on the March Madness game, unless it's the USA game. And then the sounds on that. And I put the March Madness on the tablet, but I, I love it. I, I've, and Leela and I will talk about this later, but uh, I was just curious. Cause I know you're just an all kind of sports fan and uh, was wondering if you had watched any of it. No, I haven't, but I tell you what has interested me or at least got my attention. Some of the comments from players like Mike Trout and others right. talking about how it's been meant so much Goldschmidt, a former D back, by the way, uh, going up, we let him go slip by to St. Louis. <laughs> oh, pains me. But, you know, some of their comments like this has been up there with anything. And you hear that sometimes from Olympians when they go compete in the Olympics, you know, just the, the significance and the meaning to that. I mean, we've heard, we, we're not surprised when a track and field athlete says that something right. of that nature, but when you hear some of the basketball players and other Olympic athletes say it, it, it you know, makes you 
pause a little bit, but some of the baseball players saying that. So it, it does mean a lot to them to represent their country, which I think is a good thing. Mm-hmm. Um, but I haven't, haven't gotten into it fully because of a lot of the college basketball going on right now. Still. Sure. Yeah. And I get, you know, I, I know you and I know basketball is like your number one. So I, I get that. Or you spend a lot of time covering basketball. So yeah, people ask what's my number one. I, I don't know. I, I bounce back and forth. Um, sometimes it is it is basketball. Sometimes I think it's football. I mean, baseball. I'll tell you what, I love a great playoff baseball game. Mm-hmm. And, and listen, in, in doing some of the more of the women's basketball uh, announcing with ODU, I've gotten into more of some of the ladies. Like, I, I used to not watch a minute of the women's tournament. I, I'll be perfectly frank with you. I didn't watch Harley. But now I'm like, some of these games are better than the men's game. I like good sporting yeah. events. And I'll tell you what. Hockey, hockey, playoff hockey is almost as good as anything there is. And I watched next to five, less than five minutes of the regular season. But some of those playoff hockey games, when it's yeah. like, you know, overtime, you're like, oh, oh yeah. my gosh, this can go any way. That's all I ever watch of hockey is overtime playoff hockey. That's the only time I ever watch it. That's the only time I, I tell you what I do feel for are those guys that, I don't know if you guys saw the end of the Gonzaga and TCU game, the bad yeah. beats, which I know Scott Ben Pelt talks <laughs> about. Yeah. Those people that, that put like their life savings on it, that, those people need to watch a couple of law and order reruns and, re- and re- reconfigure their life a little bit because that's a little much when you get, when you get to that level of you know maybe put on or, and it doesn't be law and order it can be anything else I mean you know, yeah. go watch you know Bl- uh, Blippy or whatever the cartoons my my niece watches I don't even know what it is anymore it used to be Dora the Explorer I'm not sure what it is anymore <laughs> that's funny yeah no I'm with you and playoff hockey I mean as a Washington Capitals fan there for about oh. five or six years overtime playoff hockey was the most exciting and most soul-crushing thing in my life. I mean, and like you said, that's the exciting thing about playoff hockey is you are living and dying on every single shot because when their team has the puck and shoots it, you're like, oh, this is going to go in. And your goalie will save and you'll be like, whoo, okay, we just got to get a shot off. We just got to get a shot off. And when you're a Cavs fan, the goal always went in the back of the net. There was no save. And then your night was ruined. Well, and you always have those decorated star like an Ovechkin who they're going to love no matter what. But yeah. then you get a coach like you had with Barry Trotz where he's loved or hated and you never know how that's going to all turn out. So, yep, no, that's true. But, Matt, we want to thank you for coming on again and, and talking to us and especially educating all of us on the John Marshall yeah. stuff a little bit because uh, that's something that, frankly, you know, a lot of our listeners in the area might hear that and be like, oh, what's that about? But, and then not think about it again. Um, but I do think uh, with as much commotion as there is around it it's probably something that's only going to get louder as time goes on and we appreciate you uh coming on and talking to us about it my pleasure guys anytime again thanks to matt hatfield for coming on and talking to us and now uh i know leland has some thoughts and uh this is not uh matt hatfield's thoughts we want to make that very clear (laughs) this is our own thoughts and opinions uh but leland go ahead and take it away i just i like I appreciate the education on this topic because it did, you know, you hear all the exaggerated stuff that, you know, all 12 people on the roster or on the travel team and that all, all, all but one of them transferred in. And that's not accurate. And I, and I'm not trying to say, I don't want to make it out to more than it is, but there a lot of stars aligned for this to happen at John Marshall. And I, I am a strong believer of where there's smoke, there's fire. Cause I've just been proven true so many times and it's just so much. This isn't, uh, well, this or that, or, or, you know, and it's just like everything. There's checking all the boxes of like what is kind of giving them this advantage. And, and if it's in within the rules, fine. And it is. And everybody's saying it is. 
we need to look at those rules because we don't need this happening other places because not everybody's doing it. You know, there's, there's that thing that comes out there and I've seen on Twitter where people are like, well, everybody's doing it. You know, everybody's has transfers. I, I, you know, people locally in my lifetime in Stanton has talked about, you know, Riverheads getting transfers for football. It's not really accurate. You know, Stanton getting transfers. Well, you know, kids move locally. I have a bigger problem when these guys are coming from out of state and all collecting here like it is a, you know, the IMG Academy or something like that at a class two program just to to run it up. Like, it's just like, how do you want to win? And that's the second time I'm saying that argument this season. How do you want to win? Like, does that make you feel good? Like getting the top recruits in the nation to come play class two basketball and just absolutely dominate. And yeah, they schedule some games in the early season or around the holiday tournaments against these out of state schools that, that have a better chance of challenging them. I just, I just don't get the motivation here for, for, Work in the rules, within the rules, just so you can just dominate class two. Because like Matt said, you would think they could dominate any classification you put them in. So why go to John Marshall and why do this? And I know that's where he has the job. That coach has the job now. But it's just really convenient. You know, for, for the one saying that they're not doing anything wrong and all that, it's just really convenient that all this just works out the right way. And for the people that minimize what they're what they're doing – to being within the rules and it's not, you know, every school has a couple transfers. I don't, and I know Matt Hatfield said, I'm not really disagreeing with it. I'm not trying to put hate on Matt Hatfield at all. And if I tried to argue with him about this point, it's just, he was the one delivering the the comments and that's why I was responding to him. But I, I love Matt. I love when he comes on the show. He's absolutely one of our best guests. I just, it just seems different than any, any comparisons or any other schools that even he mentioned, which it's him repeating, you know, things collected out there. Um, this isn't that. This isn't Riverheads dominating class one. I know that's the local one that would catch my attention immediately. But it, this is different. And that's why it, you do have coaches, multiple coaches now, sitting in post-game conferences going off about this. That's why you don't see class one coaches in their post-game press conferences going off about Riverheads. You hear how much respect they have for Riverheads and the, what they've built there and what they're doing because they know these kids are homegrown talent. Same thing that Stanton's done with the players that they had that grow up on the streets of Stanton and have grown up to play in state championship basketball. I know we're a little bit removed from that now, but that's that's what we have. You know, Darius George is from Stanton. He's not a transfer from another state. Um, Matt McClung and <laughs> Irvin, like they didn't transfer in from Kentucky or further away, you know, like – this is it. It's it's a nice thing in the state when you can earn that state championship and that that talent collects for a certain amount of time. And here at John Marshall, all these convenient stars align to create this, and it it's just it's it doesn't smell good. And there's a reason for it. So I I just don't like it. And I'm newer to this. I think last year is when I really caught on to this, and because I was slow on it, because I wasn't listening to you. But like this is a problem and it needs to get fixed. Like they need to they need to fix something. And I know there's always going to be a way to skirt around this, but like you got to do something or otherwise it's going to happen across the board in this bad way. I know we listed off schools that are dominating different classifications. 
I, I'd say just like let's let's adjust these rules so where we have this major problem doesn't happen. Let's start with what we can do to just kind of help regulate that. And I met we still have other classifications dominating in girls basketball or in soccer or in football. Like I bet it still happens, but we might not have you know these sixty point games like we're seeing in class two basketball right now. I don't know. So I hear what you're saying, and I don't necessarily disagree with it. Um, but just to play devil's advocate, you're talking about, you know, 60 point wins and 50 point wins or 40 point wins or whatever it is. Let's, let's say Riverheads does nothing to recruit a kid, but a four star quarterback moves into Greenville. Well, they'll be glad that Casto is gone. They might actually throw the ball. (laughs) <laughs> but that's what I'm saying, right? Like, Riverheads isn't known for throwing the ball. It's their one weakness is they can't really throw the ball. Well, now they get a four-star quarterback in that offense. And now they're beating teams by 50, 60 points every week. Um, how would you feel about that? Because there are you some know, people that hear you say, you know, how do you feel? Does this make you feel good? And they would say the same thing about Riverheads winning seven straight state championships, saying you're blowing out class one teams who very obviously are not on the same level as you. How does that make you feel? I, to, to that point more. So I'm a lot quicker to answer with things I've already said in this podcast that I'm, I'm really happy Riverhead's moving to class two. I'm ready for a different challenge for this team. Um, it, it, it will be exciting that in November, we're going to see different teams challenge Riverheads and, and might not even, might even knock them off. Like the, the idea of them getting knocked out, being kind of on the table because it really, I mean, I know I sit here and say, oh, they could lose. This is how Essex could be, you know, like, I don't know how much I even believe it when I say it. Now it's going to be a lot more real and Mm -hmm. uh, earlier in the playoffs than it was before. Um, And plus that program's changing. I mean, you know, like time moves on. Um, Okay. If they get a big transfer, I don't, you know, I'd love to find out, you know, I'll take it. I'll take it. Okay. But then. You know, again, to be devil's advocate, that's all John Marshall. Technically, there is no evidence that their coach is actively recruiting these kids to move to John Marshall. Now, I think, as you said, there's a lot of convenience there. Uh, If he's not recruiting, that's an awful lot of convenience. But uh, I think, to be fair, there has not even uh, the Radford head coach did not accuse them of that. Uh, Yeah. But I do think no, everyone's um, saying it's within the rules and that the rules need to change. And that's that's what I appreciate. Back when Johnny Menzel is getting paid, which is a different this whole different thing. But like when Johnny Menzel got paid for signing some autographs and he got suspended, I said, I'm not a big Johnny Menzel fan. Yeah. I said he shouldn't get suspended for doing that. But he knows that's against the rules. So he deserves to get suspended. But they need to change the rules. And now they really have. Now they even more so have changed the rules because it's not right that the kid that can't profit off his name image or likeness sure so like that was my opinion then um and so i appreciate that the coach from radford did say like you know we need to adjust how this is being handled here because it's just going to lead to to worse things and and so i agree with that point i it's just hard for me to believe that you can't you can't it's hard for me to accept like you can't say this coach isn't recruiting these guys there when <coughs> they're involved with this AAU program, where, which is a collection of talent from the, the side of the country. And now all of a sudden these guys are coming to the high school that he's coaching high school public basketball at. I just, I, I guess it's, I, I feel like we're defi- like, well, how are we defining these words then? Because I think it's real easy 
to look at it, you know, using those words that, you know, he's, rec- he's recruiting. And, and so if, if he's not fine, but then what word are we calling it? Sure. And I, I get that. And, uh, and it's multiple. It isn't just one star player. Sure. We're talking about three and in basketball. Guys to be are, fair, at basketball, one star player can really make a difference as well. You have five and players. About three of them out of a five on a court at one time. My goodness. So, um, but I, at Riverheads, I would I would be happy. I'd be happy that we have a good player on the football field. Um, nothing like that has even come close to happening at Riverheads. Sure. To, to date, and they've already been so successful. But I think the fact that you're saying would you'd I be happy. If someone says, "Are you as happy about it?" No, I'm a lot happier. I think I would be a lot happier mm-hmm. with this homegrown talent. These kids. I I know I went to high school with some of these kids' moms. And here's their kids coming up and playing. Like I'm, re- I, I find a lot of pride in that. And so I wonder if my pride would be affected if it took an outside source for for them to win state championships. And I, I'm really happy that we we, you know, I'm using we here because the way you asked this question that we've been able to do that without having to transfer people in. You know, there's been a kid from Fort and a kid from somewhere else at any given time. And none of them have been the star running back and our star quarterback. You know, the Dunlaps that have been there forever, and we got another one coming through, they've been there forever. Um, you know, you're talking about uh, Cook Cash. Those are two names that I went to high school with. You know, like this sure. hyphenated last name are people I went to high school with. So, like, I love that these guys, these stars, these all-state players, guys that are going to play, you know, anywhere from D3 football on up, uh, hoping for the highest. They are homegrown, and so I really appreciate that. So if if uh, if Arch Manning transferred into Riverheads, I'm not telling you I wouldn't cheer for him, and I wouldn't find that's fun to cheer for. But I do think I I think I would have enough acknowledgement myself that I'd, I'd look at it a little bit different, and my pride level would be a little bit different. I'd ask you know for his uncles and grandpa's autographs while they're watching him play, but I'd still cheer it on because that's my team. Yeah, and, and, I, and again, that's me asking just to be devil's advocate a little bit, and. That's why I said, and I don't know, I don't think this is a realistic option, but I do think, because I think it get it would get too difficult for the VHSL to keep track of who goes where. But when you're looking at a team that is just, you know, and, and we use Riverheads as an example, when Riverheads is beating teams by three, four scores in the state championship two, three years in a row, I think it's obvious to you, me, and anybody else that's watching, and, and I shouldn't be able to sit there and go, this team's going to win this state championship by three scores before the season even starts. I shouldn't be yeah. able to do that. And so I think in an effort to, you know, make games competitive, I do think, but I, again, I, I understand why the VHSL did things the way they did and why you can't necessarily just go, okay, well, their football team's really good, so we're going to have them play at this level, but their basketball team's not good, so we're going to have them play at this level. Because again, that, that just gets confusing. And I don't know. You start the season with a list of who's in your division I don't know how confusing. I mean, I, I think there could be an answer there. But I like, like a promotion relegation ball. thing of like, if you're this size school, but you're beating the bejesus out of that size school, maybe you can play the bigger schools in that sport. Sustained success, you know. If, yeah. You know, not just one year. Okay, now sure. you're moving up. Like sustained clarifications and lay them out there. And yeah, say and what just they say, if are, you and, have back-to-back or three straight years championships, you move up. And then if you finish you know, dead last or whatever will move you back down for, if you're crappy yeah, for a few I, years. I don't know. Would, but It'd be weird, but, like, you know, I'd be interested to hear an idea. You know, yeah, I'm not just I'd like to see out. something. But 
I, I do think, um, yeah, I, I don't know what the answer is, but. It's sad, man. Well, just the world we live in, the, the money that drives sports, how much it makes these terrible situations that we are now dealing with. Like these new problems that we deal with all because of the money surrounding sports is just ridiculous. But I will say this, and I'm not saying, I am not saying that John Marshall is recruiting. I want to be very clear before I say this. I am not alleging that's what's going on. But let's say, let's use a different name. Let's say it is President High School. And President High School has this coach that is really great at getting players to the next level and going to play college. And you're a parent, and you think your child has a shot to go play at the next level. You just want the best for what your child. You have the opportunity to get your child to go to President High School, even though you don't live in that school district. But you have the opportunity for them to play on that team. Why would you not take that chance? I get that too. Like, and that's why this is kind of private schools are for. Like, isn't that what Hoke Hill is? And like, I I hear you. I hear you. Don't like LCA because they are a private school playing the HSL. And like, yeah, no, I hear you. And that's why I don't, I don't like those teams. And I don't like, like, what about the kid? That's just a level, just a, just a, just a touch below that kid that wants to transfer in. And he's real excited that he's lived his whole life in this division and his, you know, older brother played for this coach. And now it's going to be his opportunity. Well, in comes this kid knocks him out, doesn't even make the team now. Like, that stinks, and this is public school, and it's about where you live, and these classifications are set up on where enrollment of people inside a certain line, and, like, that's what public school is. If your drive is to play for this certain coach and this level of program where they can get this exposure and play against this level, that's what the private schools and these academies and all that is for. Like, let's let's leave it there. Let's create rules to where we're not – creating academies at public schools like let's let's let those those academies exist for that reason i hear you i guess i don't have the perfect answer and i will i will defer to radford's coach and all the other coaches and the head of the hsl that says nothing wrong is going on here fine it's not and i and i've alluded to it so much you know it's convenient and stars align all that take i'm dumb i don't know what i'm talking about i'm not I don't want to accuse anybody either, but I just I don't like what what's going on here, and I think there's good reason for it. And so I, I'd like to explore options. Like let's talk about options in a, a country where we don't, you know, look at all the options on how to solve problems. Let's start with the sports that really don't matter, but everybody makes life changing decisions based on every single day. D block time here, and. Uh, you know, the reason that I didn't have time to watch all these tournament games this weekend and the reason that I'm so wrapped up in, you know, travel and all-star team basketball is that I was at an all-star team basketball tournament this weekend out at Buffalo Gap with uh, my oldest was on a team and, uh, you know, Riverheads was able to have teams at all the different levels and all the, all the schools did. And uh, it was quite the experience. <laughs> it was different. It's, you know, it's not the usual high school game. It's not the usual little league game. Um, you know, it's collection of talent and, uh, you know, not John Marshall talent. That was, that was proven this weekend with some, uh, you know, 10 to eight ball games that I witnessed, uh, either firsthand with our team or with other games. Um, but still it was cool to see 
you know, each school kind of throw up their best teams at each different level and, and battle it out. And uh, not that it's a real preview for the future, but just seeing some of the trends that you would see there, you know, is, was interesting. Um, very proud of the girls that uh, played for the team with, with my daughter. Um, and my daughter was, you know, she went from little league season with being one of the best players on her team to this, this all-star team where she really wasn't one of the best players and um, got to come off the bench and, and help as she can. And uh, they battled, uh, faced a Buffalo gap was one that won that division Riverheads finished second. Uh, so it was a good experience to, uh, you know, battle a tough team, lose to them, and then have to like earn your way back to that championship through a loser's bracket. And that was something my daughter had never even kind of been a part of. She's learning the whole tournament style. So that was fun, but also seeing her have the camaraderie with the other players when you're stuck in a gym two days, two days, all day together and the goofing around and the interest in the other games and even the lack of interest in basketball, which you, you look cross-eyed at at some points, but it's the kids having fun. So it was a lot of fun to witness. Uh, the coaching was great. I mentioned TJ in our bracket. Uh, you know, he's tied, I think, with me right now in one of those spots, but his was champions out. He, he was the head coach for this, and uh, just absolute uh, respect for the job he did with these girls. And I was really anxious for my daughter to get some coaching from not dad involved, and uh, she had that completely this weekend. You know, at the practices, I was around and, and trying to help the process of the of the practices and uh, probably still threw my words in here and there. With this tournament, I, you know, absolutely, you know, respected that there was two coaches on the bench and uh, let them coach her. And uh, they did a great job with her and all the other players and uh, got the most out of them, which was nice to see. So awesome there. It was cool to see some of the other uh, class, class complications, age groups, compete and uh you know other riverhead schools you know that's where my i graduated from there that's where my kids are gonna go so obviously that's home for me so cheering on those teams in this tournament and some of those teams winning which was cool to see um a couple of the boys teams kind of in a row um i guess it was like third and fourth and fifth and sixth both the riverheads teams won those um so like i say that doesn't necessarily mean there'll be success a lot of success here uh in four years for that group but uh it doesn't it doesn't give me doom. So I hope, I hope there is success there. And uh, it was cool to see some of that young talent at, at a young age and uh, see it displayed there. So it was, it was good. And um, I'll say Buffalo gap has some, <laughs> a couple, couple real good ones coming uh, and draft had some good players and uh, it was cool. It didn't, uh, th that's the other side of it is here's across the County, everybody with their fandom stuffed into two different gyms, one gym being, a hot box and three rows of bleachers and no room for standing. It's just craziness. And some of the heat, most heated ball games that existed this weekend happened in that gym. Um, and I was in there for most of them. So uh, it was, it was interesting and um, saw one kid uh, have to step up to the line with no time left. This is, wasn't in our game and uh, shoot free throws to try to win the game, tie ball game, try to shoot free throws to win. And, uh, he missed them both, but I mean, he stood up there and he wanted them and he, and he was strong about it. And then obviously the emotion got to him after, and uh, I felt so bad for that kid. And I, and, um, but I, it seemed like uh, he was getting a lot of support outside of that. So uh, that's a tough moment. We've seen it at high levels, you know, NCAA, I think it was a Louisville player that missed two free throws at, at that kind of spot. And um, yeah, it's a tough spot to be in. And so uh, to learn, to have that little lesson at a, at a young age, it, it kind of hated to see it, but maybe he'll be better for it. So uh, 
a lot of a lot of you know we talked about some of the negative surrounding sports and i think i had a pretty strong comment about how money and everything pushing the sports to a bad place this weekend is probably an example with with minimal of that uh you know there's no money around this uh these kids and uh there's some some travel teams where (laughs) kids are getting more experience than others battle you know and then they face each other and makes for some lopsided games You, you don't love seeing that um but nothing to the extent of what we talked about earlier so it was it's nice to see some true competition and kids having fun and uh, being rewarded for success there and uh, you know, wins and losses. And, you know, this isn't, you know, everybody complains about the kids these days don't know how to win or lose this, this weekend was the opposite of that. These kids were taught lessons on in winning and losing and earning victory. And I think that's important. So it was overall a good experience uh, next year. I'll bring a, if I'm, if, if I'm around it in coming years, I'm gonna bring a cushion to sit on. Mm. And uh, and more snacks. So, okay. Well, it sounds like we just got to get your oldest an NIL deal, and then we can bring that to that level. <laughs> um, I could uh, I I could use that right now around this house that has trees falling down on it and uh, other stuff going on in my life. I could use some NIL money that I can you know get off my kid. You know that's how it happens, right? You know the child actor kind of thing. I'll do that with the NIL. Yeah. Sure. Shenandoah trophies and awards. If they want an NIL deal with Peyton, just, you know, Ron knows my number. Hmm. <laughs> what if it works? That's what he always tells me. Um, <laughs> so um, <laughs> what's been dominating my life, in addition to VCU baseball, has been the World Baseball Classic. And I love this tournament. I know we talked about it briefly last week. Uh, we're going to talk about it more this week. Uh, just because it's been an amazing tournament. Uh, Team USA has survived with the bats. Uh, their pitching has been downright dreadful at times. Um, in fact, it's it's uh, in my group text, uh, we say that there is a rule that Team USA must give up a home run in the first inning. Uh, because if not, then the game doesn't count. Uh, <laughs> it feels like every single game we have played in, there has been a home run hit off of us in the first inning. Our starters aren't good. Our bullpen is just eh. Um, And that's because that's the group that did not come out for the U.S. this year. The position players did. They came out in force. We've got the bats. We mash well. Um, They escape out of pool play uh, as the second team out of the group, which meant they had to play Venezuela in the first round, which was kind of the darling of the tournament, really surprising some people. They beat Venezuela in that quarterfinal in a big way. Uh, And then we play uh, Cuba in the semifinal. And that game uh, had a lot of interesting things going on. Um, In addition to the game of U.S. versus Cuba and all of the interesting things that might be surrounding that, regardless, uh, with history, there is also... The game is being played in Miami, which has a huge, huge Cuban population. A lot of Cuban exiles that live in Miami. Um, And so they have the conflicting feelings of, we're from Cuba. We want to root for Cuba because we're Cuban. But they view that Cuba team as a propaganda arm for the government in Cuba. And so then they don't like that. And they won't support them. Uh, There were, I believe, three or four people that 
ran onto the field at different points with signs uh, in Spanish about free Cuba, save Cuba, uh, things along those lines. The fans chanted free Cuba in Spanish at one point. Um, there was people behind home plate with numerous signs and shirts with political messages, which apparently Major League Baseball did not love. Uh, but I don't know what you do with that if you're Major League Baseball. Um, there was a player that defected today uh, from Cuba. Uh, the bullpen catcher did not go back with the Cuban team to Cuba, escaped the hotel. Uh, and to my knowledge, uh, has not been found, uh, but was is a defector. Uh, so... Just a lot of craziness around that. Uh, and then you have Japan tonight beating Mexico in the other semifinal with a walk-off win. And they are going to the final. And that contrasts with, I think, the outside perspective of this tournament. If you're a fan of baseball, there's no way you're not loving this tournament. This tournament has been fantastic baseball games. You're seeing superstars on both teams once you get into this quarterfinal and semifinal rounds, you have seen superstars on all the teams just back and forth tight games for the most part. Uh, and then you have had people who might say they're baseball fans, but not really. Or you have MLB owners uh, who are complaining about injuries or whatever. Uh, and calling this a meaningless exhibition game. My problem with calling it meaningless exhibition games are when you ask the players from the Dominican Republic or you ask the players from Puerto Rico or Mexico or even American players, what does this tournament mean? They asked five players from the Dominican Republic, or excuse me, six, six players from the Dominican Republic would you rather win the World Series or the World Baseball Classic? Five said the World Baseball Classic, and one said it's the same. No one said World Series over World Baseball Classic. They asked Trey Turner, who has won a World Series, what was it like when you hit that grand slam that won the game against Venezuela? He said he blacked out running the bases. <laughs> the American players have said this is the most exciting Thing they have ever been a part of. Some of them are World Series champions. This matters to these players. This matters to the fans that are at the game. And honestly, like the American fans have kind of stepped it up a little bit now that we're into the semifinals, and hopefully they'll step it up in the final, which is also already sold out. Uh, the semifinals and finals sold out in Miami. That stadium will not sell out this year. Will not sell out for a Marlins game. Absolutely, Absolutely. will not for any Marlins game this year. Those fans for Venezuela, Puerto Rico, Mexico, Cuba, whatever, uh, Japan tonight, it has been an absolute like electric zoo at that place. It's been crazy. The fans are bringing instruments in, playing songs, singing, banging drums, playing instruments, you know, all kinds of percussion instruments. Waving flags, chanting, singing, the whole nine yards. It's loud in those stadiums. And watching it, I'm like, this is what baseball should be. 
And to all the MLB owners, apparently the New York Yankees uh, are not allowing their players to participate in this tournament. And I think if you're Major League Baseball, you have to put a stop to that immediately. Because I've got news. Major League Baseball is at a crossroads. These owners are worried about short-term problems with potential injuries, which, by the way, Brandon Nimmo, who did not participate in the World Baseball Classic because he didn't want to get hurt, guess what happened? He got hurt in spring training. That happens every freaking year. So once every three years, your players could play in absolutely meaningless spring training games or could be thrown into a highly competitive tournament right before the season starts. And potentially bring fans back to your team. Bring fans back to your team. Bring, grow the game internationally. Grow your brand internationally. Like the NBA has done so smartly, and look how uh, That's what I'm NBA saying. That's what I'm saying. That's why these owners who are like, oh, I don't want my players to play because, you know, what if they get hurt? Uh, what, if, what if your sport grows in popularity? What if you get more fans? Yeah. What if I don't know. Like, yeah, positive. what if you make more money? I don't know. Like, that seems like a better, aren't you an MLB owner? Aren't you supposed to be not a stupid old dinosaur? I don't know. But. Look, am I, I? It drives me nuts that there are people that still think. And Keith Olbermann was one of them on Twitter. Who was like, "This tournament has to be stopped." Look, Freddie Freeman got hurt, Jose Altuve got hurt, and Diaz got hurt celebrating. They have to cancel this tournament. It doesn't matter. And Adam Jones had said, "You know, shut the bleep up. You don't know what the bleep you're talking about." Yeah, and I thought. That about sums it up perfectly. That's about all you need. Yeah. Um, <laughs> again, when know. you ask, when you ask the players, when you ask the fans, they love this tournament. This is exactly what baseball needs. I can tell you right now. I'm watching these games. I am pumped. You know what else makes it exciting? It's a two week tournament. Every single one of these games matters. I'm about to sign up for a 162 long game long season that for half of it, I will be completely checked out on. And I love baseball, but I just don't have the time to devote my life to 162 games. I actually think from what Major League Baseball could learn a little bit about what European soccer does. They could have a shortened regular season. They could have in-season tournaments that would be viewed as meaningless tournaments, but you put prize money, you put draft picks, whatever you have to do, to incentivize it in the short term and make it a prestige thing that people will then be plugged in and say, oh, yeah, I want my team to win this. This is something that, oh, maybe the Tampa Bay Rays or you know the Pittsburgh Pirates are going to go out there and blow chunks over the larger regular season sample size. But, hey, if we do this like midseason tournament and play this thing out and it's a, one, it's a knockout-style round, one game, maybe you win it and you advance – Hey, that gives Pirate fans something to be excited about. Yeah, we're not going to win the World Series, but you know what we might win? The U.S. Baseball Cup or whatever. Baseball needs to start thinking outside the box. They need to start thinking outside the box. This tournament is something that they literally don't have to change. They just have to embrace wholeheartedly. And maybe that takes looking at the New York Yankees and saying, you're not going to keep your players out of this. Or there will be punishments. That's what needs to happen. Baseball needs to save itself from itself. And Major League Baseball owners, this is the other thing, with all these regional networks that are dying, 
the fact that Major League Baseball hasn't already looked at Amazon or Apple Plus or Netflix or Hulu and said, will you buy our national package and get rid of this blackout rule? Why they haven't already done that blows my mind. That's That, to me, is something that has to be done. But it's Major League Baseball, and at every turn, they have proven that they will do the dumbest option possible. So do I expect them to do that? No. I expect Major League Baseball to start investing in regional networks to see if they can bankrupt themselves. You talked about the players being excited about it. You talked about the fans in the stands being excited about it. Ratings were up early in this tournament. That's the article I have open over here talking about the early viewing numbers from the tournament. Um, the first USA game was triple the audience from the last time. Now, I think there's some probably TV networks, things that don't make that perfectly apples to apples, but that's not a bad sign and it's not a bad trend. So, um, I, you know, Keith Olbermann has a loud voice and a, and a platform to say things. I, it's not, it doesn't represent what everybody's feeling. And I've told you the last two weeks on this podcast that, or maybe just last week, but like, I just haven't found time to watch it. I've been very interested in what's going on. I've, I tuned in as much as I could uh, tonight, the night before. I caught a game the other day. Last week, I've mentioned one. So I'm catching what I can. But I have interest in it. I I think it's exciting. When the guy from Mexico robs a home run and just stands there just with all the confidence in the world, I thought it was awesome. And baseball needs more of that. And if this is the venue that kind of sparks, hey, we need need more of this excitement and play because these guys are playing for their national team and they – Definitely feel comfortable doing that in this moment with the, with the national fans behind them. You know, maybe that grows in the game. You know, I think a lot of things have to change, not change, but just, you know, ex- embrace some of that because that's what we've seen in other sports and it's helped it grow, particularly the NBA. There's the individual character and excitement and style that's brought. And even in baseball in the 90s, I feel like there was Griffey who had his own style and, and different guys had the individuality. Baseball needs some of that. So we maybe, you know, some of those unwritten rules where we have to beam a guy just because, you know, he likes hitting the home run, you know, maybe some of that starts to get sorted out if, if there's more of it and teams are happy with it. I, I kind of went off the rails there, but I, I think this is a good thing. No, I, I don't care what Oberman says. If the players like it, that's all I need to hear. If the players are digging it, let's go. Yeah, and like, I, I'm with you. Rating, you're not competing, like – this is just good. This is just more eyeballs on baseball at a time. You're normally not going to have any eyes on baseball because no one's really watching spring training. You're bringing more fans in to watch this sport. I don't care what the venue, how the teams are made up, whatever. If you can get more people interested in baseball at a different time than you normally do, even if it's only every three years or four years, whatever it is. Great. It's a great thing. It's it's just see it's black and white. I I agree. I think this is great for baseball and and the players do love it. And I think you're right, too, right? You're seeing a lot of the other cultures kind of reflected in these games where, like, the Venezuelan pitcher, when he struck out, they were winning at the time. He struck out an American hitter with, like, the, I think the tying run was in scoring position or something. Struck him out. And he is, like, freaking out walking off the mound. And in the moment, I was like, oh, I hate that. But I also love it because I'm like, you know what? He's having fun. He's enjoying the freaking sport he plays. And – that's that's normal in other countries when they play baseball. They celebrate. They have fun. Randy Rosarena makes a big home run and stares in at the field after he robs it. That's fun. If it gets the Brian McCanns and the Fun Police out of this tournament, that's one thing. If somebody is a member of the Fun Police, I don't want them. I want this tournament to be all fun. 
when Trey Turner goes yaya and hits one of the moon on a grand slam, I Which want time, him. Yeah. Home run. Yeah, yeah I want him to flip the bat, run around the bases, pump his fist, and watch the team come out of the dugout to celebrate. That's fun. What makes college baseball fun? When there's a home run, that team runs out of the dugout and meets him at home plate and celebrates. That's it's a hang fun. That's fun. <laughs> That's why we should be playing baseball and watching baseball. Not so Brian McCann can sit out there and go, oh, respect the game. Run around the bases at exactly this speed. Get back in the dugout and don't have fun. Cool, Brian McCann. You're the one I want to get hit in the head so you don't have to play this stupid freaking game anymore. Oh, and Jacob DeGrom, who said, I'm not going to play in the World Baseball Classic because no one's ever gone to the Hall of Fame or won a World Series because they played in the WBC. Uh, Nobody has ever won a World Series for the Mets in my lifetime, but that didn't stop you from signing a long-term contract with them, you freaking loser. I hate Jacob DeGrom now. Oh, Lordy. All right. Um, the next, I have three topics, all coaching. So the what I need you to know is three coaching topics. And if, if you just want to jump in with me on these or you got another one, that's fine. Let's hit them. The number one one, and it's something that could have led our show, Ryan Bird, new head coach for Wilson Memorial Football. Um, very interesting to see that hire. He comes from the Fort Defiance uh, program. Uh, who had an up year last year, and he's he's done a good job out there throughout. Uh, and uh, defensive coordinator, I believe, and uh, done a good job. One thing highlighted by Patrick Height in an article on Monday that Ryan Bird is the first black head coach in Augusta County for football. So I think that's great. That's a great thing. Um, you know, I didn't read that and say I need to do my own research. I it sounds it sounds believable, but also glad that that's over. I'm glad that we don't have to have the first for that uh, anymore because uh, he's very deserved it, and I'm glad he can uh, you know pave that path and uh, he deserves the opportunities. He's a little bit of a younger coach. Uh, I think he graduated from Fort in 2012. Has been an assistant with them since then. Uh, so it'll be some yelling the energy in the. Uh, you know, high school coaching in the Augusta County. So congratulations to him. Looking forward to talking with him when we do our uh, coverage of football in the fall on the podcast. I look forward to talking to him um, for 1240, whatever, whatever I have a chance because uh, he's, he's a good coach. He's done a good job and I'm glad for him to yeah, have the opportunity to step up into this head role. Yeah. I think this is great for him. Uh, we'll yeah. see how it pays off at Wilson. I mean, I think that there is, Definitely going to be uh, some expectations on them because they were a team that this past year had an uptick. And I think folks there are going to expect that to kind of continue. I know they're going to lose a lot, um, but I am kind of curious to see what Wilson can bring back and how they're going to compete in the Shenandoah district. But as you said, uh, congrats to coach bird and good luck to him. He'll have, he'll have class. He'll have region three C challenges of of their own. Uh, with LCA down there and, and others, but uh, yeah, it'll be fun. So uh, glad to have one of those spots filled and, and know what's going on there. Um, so that'll be good. Uh, there was a lot of, uh, just to kind of review, and this wasn't even on my list, but three uh, girls basketball varsity openings, Riverhead, Stewart Straft, and Stanton now all open on girls basketball side, Fort basketball on the boys side. So a lot of holes to fill with coaching, uh, for sports that we talk a lot about here on the podcast. So just wanted to mention those as well. 
other coaching news. Um, the Big East, I feel, find very interesting now with their coaching changes. We had Ed Cooley today left Providence to go coach Georgetown. He was a Providence guy. So it surprises me he goes to Georgetown, but he had a lot of success at Providence. He was there 12 years, but in the last nine years, he took Providence to seven of the tournaments. That's great for Providence, uh, including a Sweet 16 run, I believe was it last year. Uh, so he's done a great job there, uh, deserves the opportunity to go wherever he wants. Uh, and Georgetown, which is a program I kind of mark for dead, um, and he, he has other plans. So it'll be interesting to see if he's able to turn that around and get them competitive in the Big East. They haven't been. Uh, for the last few seasons, uh, they had a 29-game losing streak in the Big East under Patrick Ewing, 13-50 and 50 over the past two seasons overall. Um, he, you know, kind of only one way to go, I feel like. And I think, I think he has a good chance to be successful there. Um, but let's see how quick that goes. I think that'll kind of – we could see what – how bad it is for Georgetown right now just with how long it might take Ed Cooley to bring that back up. But he was able to be successful at Providence. No reason to be – to just write them off now. Um, go ahead. Yeah. I, like you said, him being a Providence guy and the fact that he won the conference last year with Providence. Yeah. Um, my biggest question, when I heard that rumor, I was like, mm, I bet not. Why would you do that? That's what I said. I and, said it on the couch the other night. He's not going there. And then when I saw today, like Ed Cooley will be the next coach at Georgetown. I was like, well, Okay, I I don't get it. I he, I think he's leaving a better program. I think he's yeah. leaving a better program to go to Georgetown, which frankly is a tire fire right now. I don't. I think you know we talk about this all the time with football, right? And that's our concern with Virginia Tech football is you're starting to get to the point where the kids that are you're recruiting don't remember when you were good. No kid remembers when Georgetown was good. That is being recruited right now. No kid remembers that. Maybe they go on YouTube and watch old Allen Iverson NBA highlights. And then you could say he went to Georgetown. You're like, oh, okay. But they don't remember when they were good. Roy Hibbert was probably the last time they were good, and they got bounced in the first round. Like, th- th- I don't get it. I don't get it. But I assume money is Good involved. luck to Ed Cooley. And, and I'm sure it is, be, but. He, he must come from a, a mindset that the the name the legend legend of Georgetown and but John he's Thomas old enough and, to remember that when I'm I, man I just I don't know I don't yeah. know I think you're leaving you're leaving your alma mater you're leaving a program that you made better than Georgetown I just don't understand maybe maybe they see a ceiling at Providence maybe he doesn't think he can get them any bigger <sighs> I don't know if you can get Georgetown bigger hmm. than Providence is right now in today's college basketball I don't know if you can do it. Maybe the other one um, kind of, you know, similar things we'll throw with this uh, Rick Pitino. uh, He actually did commit today to go to St. John's leaving Iona after what was he three years, four years. And uh, now he's going to be at St. John's uh, in New York city. Um, It made sense. He he could see it coming. I was, we were joking on Friday that, you know, he wouldn't make it into the locker room (laughs) before he accepted that job. Uh, but at least he he did wait through the weekend before I guess it was official. But it, it seemed like it was just absolutely going to happen. It does, and, and it makes more interesting news there in the Big East, which you know I'm and I'm not saying this is the Big East of the '80s or '90s with all these coaches, but you know, getting increasingly interesting. And as much as fake as you think Marquette is, you know, Shaka Smart is a name of interest, and 
Um, you know, here's another name into the Big East that carries a lot of weight. And uh, so it, it it's interesting. I, just Big East is becoming increasingly interesting. And uh, that's coming off watching their tournament just, just last week. Uh, so I think that's it's it's cool to have Patino back in here. He's going to be watched like a hawk. I know that. I mean, just considering what he's come from, I I don't think uh, I think all eyes will be on him in in the city where all eyes are on you. So it'll it'll be interesting to see how this goes. I think I think they need a reality series for Big East basketball, or at least at least St. John's basketball. Yeah. Um, sure. Also, uh, another twist to that saga is the coach they fired uh, is oh, yeah, he's suing, them. Yeah. suing St. John's because St. John's is trying to say they fired him with cause and they shouldn't have to pay him $11 million. I've because got news we hate you. Yeah, I was going to say, if the office taught us anything, because Rick Pitino is available is not a good enough reason for cause. <laughs> like, they're going to lose that court case. Saying he was fired with cause, I'm like, um, he had a winning record at St. John's yeah. and you kept the guy before him who was, I understand a former legend. You kept him a l- longer than you kept him. And he sucked. He was awful. The Mullins era was a nightmare for St. John's. So my, to fire Mike Anderson. And when they fired Mike Anderson, I was like, that's weird. Now they get Rick Patino who, okay. Um, you got your guy that you wanted. I think Georgetown might be upset that they St. John's fired Mike Anderson because I think that's who Georgetown probably wanted first. But um, yeah, I, I just man, Rick Pitino has a lot in his history. Yeah, Rick Pitino has a lot in his history, uh, which can make you feel a certain way. Um, but in terms of his basketball coaching ability, it's a good get for St. John's. I think they absolutely should have to pay Mike Anderson his $11 million though. And um, I hope he wins that case against St. John's. Uh, But yeah, I. Patino could probably write that check. Probably. (laughs) All right. The other coaching news, and this is the one I honestly put in here late in the day and might find the most interesting. I've railed against Alabama earlier in this podcast in the last few weeks as well. And all my focus is, has narrowed to Nate Oates and higher, as I've said, Nate Oates famously a couple weeks ago when talking about his player that has, I say reportedly, but admitted to delivering a gun to a crime scene before it became a crime scene. Um, and not facing any, not just any legal problems that's that's up to the law, but not even like a hesitation within the athletic department about his participation on the basketball team. Nick Saban today at Alabama, same school, standing at a press conference, very similar to Nate Oates when he said wrong place, wrong time for his, for his player. And that's why we can't punish him because we can't control what they do away from here, which is weird. Nick Saban has a, Highly touted recruit coming in. I believe he's, he started in the spring here, and he was around. And I, I will tell you, I do not know any of the details of whatever legal stuff that's potentially around this kid. But immediately, the football team, spend him for now. He won't be participating in football while he gets all that stuff figured out. Nick Saban just kind of goes through it three times of you have to be accountable for your actions, 
who you hang around with means something. You got to make the right decisions. You got to receive punishment for bad decisions. And no, uh, wrong place, wrong time isn't a thing that exists. I find that very interesting for Nick Saban to say that at Alabama, where Nate Oates pretty much said the opposite only a couple weeks ago with reference to a legality case surrounding a murder. So I expect there must be some tension within that athletic department. So that's why I find it very interesting. Now, Nick Saban doesn't have to walk on eggshells for anybody. He, he doesn't matter what, what this basketball team does in Alabama. Alabama football still rules. Doesn't matter. They can win the next three national championships in basketball. Nick Saban is still, you know, the man at Alabama because Alabama is football. So I just still find it very interesting. And I'm, we probably won't hear much of any fallout from that or any in-house drama from that because I think anything like that would stay pretty, pretty tight. But I like that there's drama exists. And I like that there might be some in-house drama and pressure. And Nate Oates might be grinding his teeth tonight about what Saban said that flies in the face of what Nate Oates said just a couple weeks ago. I, like you, was, one, surprised to see that. Um, two... His word choice was so specific. Absolutely. As to not leave up to chance, like, oh, I didn't realize what I said. Um, when he said wrong place, wrong time doesn't exist. There's no such thing as wrong place, wrong time. I was like, well, that's a direct shot at Nate Oates, who I think Nick Saban probably doesn't appreciate the stain that put on the national identity of Alabama. Um, Cause I do think, look, if they win a national championship, is that going to be diminished a little bit in terms of the harm done to the Alabama brand outside of Tuscaloosa? Yeah. But it did take a hit. I don't think Nick Saban likes that. And Nick Saban is Alabama it, at the end of the day. Let's be honest. You're right. We're not going to hear anything out of this because Nate Oates doesn't want that fight. Oh my goodness. If man. Nate Oates tries to clap back at Nick Saban, he is fired. We're, we're sitting here saying he's going to get a raise after the year Alabama basketball has had, unless he goes after Nick Saban. If he says Nick Saban should mind his own program and not worry about what we're doing over here, Alabama's AD is going to be like, hey, Nate Oates, uh, you're no longer a member of Alabama. <laughs> Nick Saban's going to go to the basketball team now. Um, like, that's. Because you're right. It, it, at the end of the day, it's Alabama football. And they don't really care. The other stuff, if they're good at it, cool beans. But it's Alabama football. Yeah. Alabama Basketball first, cool. second, third. And then they'll start worrying about other sports. Like, after the top three, they're like, I don't know. Do we, we have other sports here? Okay, if you say so. But the first, second, and third thing they think about is Alabama football. Yeah. And first, second, and third down. Yeah. If If – anybody says anything negative. I think that's a professor thing too. I think if a professor says anything negative about Nick Saban, they probably get fired on the spot. It's like, look, you don't talk about Nick Saban that way. If they, if Nick Saban sneezes on campus and they don't say, bless you, you're fired. Like (laughs) I, I absolutely think that's true. So you're right. We're not going to hear any more about this unless Nick Saban decides to go dunk on NATO some more. But I don't think he will. Uh, but, man, when I saw that, I was like, 
that is a very deliberate choice of words. Um, now, to play devil's advocate, I would like to see if Nick Saban had this stance if it was midseason and it was a guy who is maybe the best player on his team in the country. I would like to see if it's the same stance and the same result. But I I will give him credit for doing this. And I think it's the right it's the right thing. At the end of the day, I I say that because I do think it would be interesting to see what if he's singing the same tune if they're getting ready for the college football playoff and let's say their star quarterback who is a Heisman trophy contender gets arrested or is involved in a crime. Uh, if he suspends him, but um, right now I don't have that data point to go off of. And this is the data point I have. And I think he handled this the right way. I think I can't, I can't criticize him for something that hasn't happened. Um, but I think uh, I like that he said it, and, and yeah. Nick Saban's done a couple of these at press conferences where he said things I like. Um, so uh, doesn't I still don't like him? Um, but hey, I like this. Nah, come football season, I'll root against him. But I think he handled this the right way. I'll be interested to see because I know Tuscaloosa has some real journalists down there. I they're probably going to use these comments and might look back at Saban's record and, and see if if it li- what he said here and, and that lines up. I could I could see some real journalists digging into that. Maybe maybe name name Tuscaloosa, but nationally. That's oh, I was going to say nationally, yes. When you're saying Tuscaloosa, I was like, Mm-mm. yeah. I, Leland, that newspaper gets firebombed if they say anything about Nick Saban. Are you okay. kidding? Excuse me. Maybe not Tuscaloosa. Let's go up the road to Auburn. Let's see what let's see what they look into. And <laughs> yeah, Nick Saban's but, oh man, so somewhere I believe. Because this new, because record ESPN, of this, is this isn't just lost out there. I, yeah, I can ESPN, see USA Today, out. Washington Post, maybe some you know national papers. Yes, local papers, absolutely not. Nobody will be checking on Nick Saban's record on that in Tuscaloosa. I'll be interested to see what comes of that because uh, I I think there has to be some examples out there, and we'll see what the record is with that. I'm sure it's not a hundred percent one way or the other. Um, but it'll be interesting to see if it leans one way or the other. I, I I also think that this recency with Brandon Miller also has an impact on this. I, I think it's crazy not to think that. I mean, well, the he's words, reacting the words, to that. I mean, the words with his words, it's like you said, he's reacting to this issue. So. Yeah. So I think I think that absolutely has something to do with it too. Um, but. I think he did the right thing in this scenario. If this were to happen at JMU or Virginia Tech, I would hope they would have a similar stance. Um, the person that's there now at JMU is giving me reason to think that wouldn't happen, but there's always, um, hopefully it's not something they have to deal with in the future, but if a similar situation were to arise, I hope that Coach Signetti would take a similar stance and suspend the player until the investigation process was done. I mean, at Tech, there has been some recent violent crime and stuff, and players were kicked off teams immediately. So, mm-hmm. but I'm not going to say that happened 100 percent because I I know when I was in school, there was some stuff that happened that you, you would kind of look at strangely. You know, they they always say each case is different, and I I do believe that we can have at Virginia Tech, we can have some more significant stuff happen, and you know, pretty minimal punishments, and then we can have a kid steal some Dr Pepper and have much more punishments. But, you know, 
it'll be an, it'll be interesting to see what comes with these comments across the board. So that will do it for us on this episode of the Yak Sports Podcast. For Leland McRae, I'm Joe Deck. You can follow us on Podbean, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or Spotify. You can also find us on Twitter at Yak Sports Pod. That's Y A C Sports Pod. Or on Facebook, same spelling. Or if social media is not your game, but you have something you want to share with us, find us on Gmail, yaksportspod at gmail.com. Comment, let us know what you think of the tournament. Who do you think wins it all at this point? Uh, now that we're in the Sweet 16 on men's or women's side, or both. Um, what do we not talk about that you do want to talk about? Uh, what do you think of Ed Cooley going to Georgetown? You know, whatever we talked about tonight that you want your voice heard on, we are always welcoming new opinions. Um, is Leland right? Am I right? Um, does Leland wear too many, uh, take too homerific of a take? Or am I too hard on Leland? Uh, you know, you're entitled to your opinion, but you might be wrong. Just know that. Um <laughs> Until next week, folks, thanks for listening to the Exports Podcast. Have a good week. You've been listening to Yak Sports, your Augusta County Sports Podcast.